commercials, no subscriptions, no network, no rules, and at the end of the day, my friends, no comparison. Banal of America is back after our little uh, one-week hiatus last week, uh, and we're back with uh, what I think is going to be a fantastic episode. A good friend of mine, as I said, uh, when we were closing out the show with Adam Go Rightly a few weeks ago, it's a small group of people, you could say, a small, my inner circle, if you will, of folks who I consider really uh, good friends of mine in this field. Uh, Adam, of course, being one of them. Jack Brewer, who was on a couple of weeks ago. And tonight's guest, uh, Aaron Goulias. I was thinking the other day, if you were a wrestling manager, I think your your nickname would be The Gentleman Aaron Goulias. I feel like that hey, would fit that perfectly. Sounds, that sounds good. Someday I, I am going to be able to get in the ring and, uh, and, and, and pull out the old uh, – you know what has uh, what has an IQ of ninety seven and and seven teeth the entire front row uh, sort of line um, there you and, go. Uh, and just in, insult some locals but uh, yeah yeah I need to do that <laughs> uh, I've I've given away the the uh, the guest here it's Aaron Goulias of course and um, he is the creator and host uh, of the fantastic podcast uh, Saucer Life the Saucer Life. Um, and people can find that at saucerlife.com. We're going to get into that right away at the beginning here because I, I noticed something interesting um, before uh, before I was putting the show together. Of course, he's the author of a whole bunch of books, uh, The Chaos Conundrum, Extraterrestrials and the American Zeitgeist, uh, The Paranormal and the Paranoid. Uh, and uh, I see a Doctor Who looking one on here. Yeah, in fandom shadow, being a Doctor Who fan from the 1990s <laughs> to today. Is, I got it. I gotta jump in. That was my attempt to just see how Kindle worked or the Kindle direct publishing ah. worked. So I just like threw a bunch of like Doctor Who blog posts in there. Yeah, so, so people actually bought it. It's embarrassing. <laughs> Don't buy that. There one, you though. go. The completists. They're like, I've got to get this one. Chat. Go <laughs> 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 oh, so, the terrifying. Thank idea. God for completists. <laughs> um, they are. No, what I, I, what, what I thought what I thought was interesting is uh so I was looking at the last time I, I had you on the show. Aside we had a fantastic uh Christmas special uh, a few years ago. Um on Banal of America. Uh I think like a I don't even know, I have it in front of me, but it was like uh, a couple of Christmas Christmases ago. Um but before that, when we were wrapping up the seasonal format of Banal of America, that's uh when I had you on one on one last and that was October of twenty seventeen. And it's crazy because I was looking at your archive because I'm like that. He had just started the show, and I'm like, I looked, and you were just about to put out your eighth episode. 
So you had really wow. just started saucer life. Um, so I guess the, I guess sort of the start off question in a way is like um, now you've been doing this now for three and a half years. I guess what's yeah. your you know what what have you learned? What's sort of your takeaway? What's your experience been like? Um, you know, doing a podcast. I, I think I think the biggest thing I've I've struggled with and, and I guess learned, but but sort of still learning is um, is that I, it's finding this balance between just sort of extemporaneously talking about something as opposed to scripting the whole thing out. So I've I've done both, and it's like on the one hand I'm trying to find what's sort of the best approach for the topic and what resonates with listeners and, and things like that. But, but mostly I'm, I'm trying to find a way to make it save time. And when I would, when I do things more extemporaneously, I end up having to do a lot more editing. Um, yeah. Which yeah. takes time. And when I, when I script things out, it takes a long time to, uh, to, to write those things. So there, there's no time savings doing it either way, but um I'm finding the last, and, and this, I mean, this is not scientific at all, but <laughs> I think the, I, I, I won't say which episodes are which, but I will say um, feedback, feedback from, from listeners, feedback from associate producer Simpson J. Hanover III is that, and, and they don't know this, but the episodes that my sort of pre-broadcast listen-through person and, you know, actual listeners, the episodes they say are the best ones are the ones that tend towards more of the extemporaneous narration sort of, sort of, you know, narrative stuff, um, which is nice because um, as I was, you know, finishing up the uh, latest book that we're going to be talking about over, over the last few months, um, I, I could not write another word if I had to. And and so and I think that's why that book was so hard to write is because I was you know writing five thousand words of podcast episodes every other week, um, so ten twenty thousand words a month just for the podcast. Trying to write a book on top of that, and I was like, why is this so much harder than my other books? It's, well, this is the only book I've written while the podcast has been going. So it's yeah. So it's the, um, some episodes have been a little more spontaneous and. Um, it, it it seems to to have worked. So I, I think finding that balance is one thing. Um, another thing is that, um, and, and this is a very sad thing for me. I think I've reached the point where um, where I'm really happy with how it sounds audio wise. So yeah. I, I don't have any more excuses to buy audio equipment, which is like 80 percent of the reason I started the podcast was to have an excuse to, to mess around with audio equipment. So. Um, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So, you know, unless, you know, I set my microphone on fire accidentally somehow, I'm I'm done buying stuff, which is depressing. But um, other than that, I, I think the, the biggest surprise for me so far is that um, is that people like it. I, um, I, I don't pay too much attention to numbers because I don't have advertising, so numbers don't really matter. But, right, you know, right. there's, there's consistently, you know – a surprising number of thousands of people per week listening to me talk about flying saucer stuff. And uh, I've tried to drive them away. I uh, sometimes <laughs> choose topics that, that I think will be 
horrible, um, it, it, you know, to sort of like defy, you know, going on hiatus or something like that, just to just to take a break. But um, no, people people like that. It's been it's been pretty consistent. I've got you know a, a cadre of of commenters and emailers who uh, and, and people on social media who um, I, I and I, I don't mean this in a bad way. They pay more attention to this stuff than I do. Um, they <laughs> yeah, pick up yeah. on things that I said in the episode, and I'm like, "Wow, that sounds really interesting." Where'd you? Oh, I said that, didn't I? Wow, that's that's wild. Um, so <laughs> it's uh, it's 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 nice. Um, it's nice, and and I um, and I this sounds like this sounds like I'm blowing smoke, but I'm not. I am almost certain I have the cleverest audience in all of paranormal podcasting as far as just depth of knowledge about a huge variety of subjects and interesting things coming out of the woodwork. Um, I'll probably share some of the, some of those things as we, as we talk about, you show me the list of topics that we're probably going to cover some episodes that I've done. And um, there's some interesting stories about how listeners have, uh, helped out with uh, with some of that stuff, but uh, yeah, it's been it's been a wild ride. I can't believe it's been almost it'll be four years in August, uh, which is just crazy. A um, hundred and forty, fifty episodes, something like that. Um, yeah, and and this 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 year in 2021, I think all but one of our regular episodes so far has been over an hour, which is which is a lot, um, which is a lot when it's not an interview sort of thing. So yeah, yeah, um, that can that can know, be tough. People, like that, yeah. And whenever I have a shorter episode, people email me and say, "Bring back the longer episodes." I'm like, "No," but um, I don't want to. You can't make me. But uh, yeah, it's uh, it's it's been fun. I don't know. Uh, I don't know when it's going to end. I don't have an end point in sight. Um, I, I can guarantee people this: when it ends, it's you're you're going to know. We are going to have a an ending. There's going to be a finale. Um, I've got the last line already written. So, oh, I, nice. I, 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 yeah, I don't know when it's going to be, but uh, probably when the only things left to cover are Michael Sala and Roswell. I, I, I think once I get down to like <laughs> that that bottom of the barrel of of topics, I just I just don't want – actually, we're probably going to be talking about Sal at some point fairly soon. But um, just, yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, once I get down to, well, I guess it's time to do a Roswell episode, I'm like, I'm out. You know, time to let's – let's do a clip show and just take off because I'm not doing a Roswell episode. I'm not. Um, unless it's all about Rick, Rick, uh, Nick Redford's ideas about Roswell, just to piss people off. Yeah, you could do like all the all the alternative Roswell, uh, Roswell yeah, I'll, ideas. I'll, I'll do, you... uh, Nick, Nick Red Nick Redford and Carl Flock. <laughs> there you <laughs> go. Cover their viewpoints on Roswell. <laughs> <laughs> and then there are other people who say it was an alien spacecraft, but we'll argue into that. Uh, <laughs> no, no, nobody, nobody cares about those people. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I got yeah, man. I mean, I got to put you over. The show's awesome. Uh, I was a fan when you first started out, and it's I've been enjoying watching it sort of grow and evolve and um you know it's uh you're like a big you're a big wrestling fan like me so i i sort of liken it yeah. in a way to like uh like dave melcher was a great reporter and pundit but he's a fantastic historian and i yeah. sort of get a very melcherian 
feel from the show where it's like you'll you'll sort of dig into something and really dig into it and it's like wow this this is really informative sort of oftentimes very obscure stuff that I really can't find anywhere else and it's uh really really well done so uh you know I'm a, I'm a huge fan of uh of what you've been doing I will absolutely take the Dave Meltzer of Flying Saucers as a compliment that is yeah there you go yeah that's that's uh yeah that's uh that's a, that's, a, that's a good way to look at it because I, I mean, yes, Dave is. Sorry for the wrestling talk, folks. Uh, Dave is, um, you know, yeah, like you said, you know, news, punditry. Um, we say news, rumor, innuendo. Um, what <laughs> yeah. people call him and tell him uh, that he repeats. But uh, but the, the history stuff is where he really shines, and um, and I, I think where a lot of his interest is, and uh, and, and that's that's where I am too. Um, the uh, I've uh, I've got uh, you know people. Uh, friends and you know on the outside you know not UFO people not you know friends friends like that but not friends like that but you know friends <laughs> and, and people who will will text me when there's a uh, a news story about um, about the Pentagon and you know Tic Tacs and things like that and I because they know I'm a, a UFO person and you know I. Uh, they they they're like, well, we, I didn't think you'd be like a, a a skeptic about this, and I'm like, well, it's not so much that I'm a skeptic, as much as that I don't care. Um, <laughs> so um, yeah, about yeah. Some of the 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 more the more modern. So I think I think the last sort of you know breaking UFO news that I really got invested in uh, was probably the Roswell slides thing. That whole that whole nonsense because it was, I was sort of like on the periphery of the group that was uh, with, with, I was in the, the little secret Facebook group with Kurt Collins and some of those guys uh, who were, you know, <laughs> knocking the stuffing out of that scam. Uh, so that was, uh, that was probably the last time there was like a, a, a modern breaking UFO story that I was like, wow, I gotta, I gotta know everything that's going on with this. Um, but uh uh, yeah, so the, it, it's the it's the old stuff that fascinates me because it's more fun, um, and, and because you know we've got some perspective on it because it, it's in the past at least you know at least things have to be a little bit in the past for uh, to sort of make the cut as far as um, as far as uh, topics for the show. I think our um, our episode the other week on Sherry Schreiner was probably the most recent event current event style episode that we did usually it's it's you know obscure newsletters from the 50s which is this coming week uh, <laughs> look at a bunch <laughs> nice, of nice. look at a bunch of uh, new um newsletters from the grand rapids flying saucer club here in michigan from 1956 uh, so it, it, and, and there's some interesting stuff there, there's some stuff that i i was not aware of and a whole lot of so and so saw a light in the sky Next story. So-and-so saw a light in the sky as well. Next story. There was also a light <laughs> in the sky seen by, you know, it's all of that stuff. But, um, but there, there, there's some good stuff. Yeah, I, I think things need to escape far enough out of um, being, in quotes, news for me to get super interested in it. Yeah, it's difficult. I talked about that sort of with Jack at the beginning of the show uh, a couple weeks ago, that it's like I didn't even want to get into, like, what was happening. Because whatever's happening now, half the time I'm lazy, I don't get the show out for, like, a week or something. And, like, even even just the stuff Jack and I were talking about then seemed dated. Everything's happening so fast right now that it's like, ah. And I'm like you. It's like 
I'm not really personally invested in this, so I don't get too excited over stuff like the thing that happened like this week where it's like, oh, the inspector general of the Pentagon is going to evaluate how the government handles UFOs. It's like, eh, all right, you know, we'll see, we'll see how, we'll see what becomes of that. You know, yeah. I'm not like frothing at the mouth in excitement over, <laughs> you, know, yeah. you know, it's very, and it's like, there's a tendency to sort of like you, they, this thing you get caught up. Like if you're, if you're living in the now of it, it's like you kind of, I think maybe, and I mean, if people are into it, that's fine. I was gonna, I was gonna make a joke like uh, on Twitter the other night because I, when that happened, I was like, oh, this is uh, just just fodder for what you UFO fans love, which is uh, you know endless, endless speculation. And it's like, look, I, yes, I'm shitting on UFO fans, but with the caveat, and Aaron can Aaron Aaron can confirm this 110 percent. Uh, I do plenty of fucking speculating on all kinds of, all kinds of dumb shit like professional <laughs> wrestling. So, so, so yeah. if you're if you're all in a in a lather about what Bob Bigelow and 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 uh, and, and Lou Elizondo are up to, and that's all you talk about on Twitter all day, that's fine because I'm off talking about AEW. So it's, I can't judge. Yeah, and and I think and that's why um, it's. It's clear to me that that ufology, or or let's let's call it um, let's call it hashtag UFO Twitter, is um, in, in in structure and, and form and, and how it works. It's it's a fandom. It's it's like pro right, wrestling right. fandom or comic book fandom or sports fandom. Um, it, it's it, it's a fandom. And um, actually, uh, speaking of having the cleverest listeners in the podcast verse. Um, one of my listeners wrote a, uh, it's a student and wrote a research paper on uh, sort of, sort of examining 1950s UFO believers um, sort of through the lens that has been used to study, um, you know, various fandoms from the same era. So, you know, it, it's, uh, and he sent it to me to read and it was, it was, it was really good. Um, a really interesting, really interesting paper that, that quoted me. So, um, so of course, brilliant, brilliant young person. But um, <laughs> but it's it, it, it's a fandom, and and that's fine, and it's great, and I love it. But you know, you and I are not pro wrestling bookers because we have a much better way that some match could have concluded. You are not a researcher because you've watched a bunch of YouTube videos and then made a YouTube video talking about the YouTube videos you watched. You're, you're yeah, not a yeah. researcher. You're, you're not, um, and that's that's not bad. That's not a put down. That's like saying that a tree is not a rock. You're not putting the tree down for not being a rock, but you know, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't yeah, yeah. Kids these days with their social media and their YouTubes, you know, it, the hashtag um, yeah. and the <laughs> hashtagging, all the hashtagging, clowns. Um, but yeah, I yeah, know you're hitting the nail on the head yeah. that it's a fandom, and that's it, that's fine. That's yeah, I think that yeah, when, when kind of when they when when but when folks maybe take it too far and they like they, they like you said they think they're researchers. It's like no, you're just a fan. You're just a fan, dudes, and that's fine. You know, I, everyone's fans of something. Yeah, and and it's it's good, but but no well-adjusted fan expects non-fans to care as much as they do, and. um you know, I and and I think sometimes UFO people, you know, they're they're convinced of the world shaking nature of this or that memo that's been found. And um 
you know, sun still comes up in the east, sets in the west, wheel keeps on turning, nobody cares. Nobody cares. Right, exactly. UFO, yeah. UFOs, nobody cares. That should be the uh, the headline for this episode. But, um, <laughs> yeah, boy, oh boy, I, it's sounding really – this is what happens to a person when they sit, sit in a car for three hours going back and forth to Ikea to buy bookcases like I did today. You, <laughs> you take on a, a jaded view of the world. And uh, the only good thing is that uh, Ikea is pretty strict about keeping people six feet apart. So that is one of the real irritations of Ikea gone is – people but um i got bookcases i got cinnamon rolls i'm all set but short uh, of a lamp i think a bookcase is like the easiest thing to put together from ikea too so it is i um i uh this is like the fourth bookcase of this of the billy style that uh that i own and and i i almost i don't need the instructions anymore so uh so that's nice that's (laughs) nice yeah yeah everything's uh, everything's coming up gullious here there you go now I, I I sent you like a list of sort of I picked out some uh, some potential topics here on the um, from the archive here of stuff to talk about stuff that we've never gotten into on the show here of uh, an all America really ever. Now I'll, I'll admit to one thing when I picked Bill English I got him confused with Michael Younger. Do you know anything about Michael Younger? Because for some reason that guy fascinated me in Go Rightly's book because he was so strange. All. All I know about Mike Younger is what I've read in Go Rightly's book. Um, so okay. I'm, right. I'm not a uh, I'm not a Michael uh, a Michael Younger uh, scholar. All right, that's fine. Yeah, I didn't. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I didn't really. I didn't necessarily like uh, uh, expect you to <laughs> to know much about. Yeah, Go Rightly paints him as quite about, the character I, where he's. Like running around and claiming he's like special forces and shit or something like that, and then his wife's like, "Yeah, his name is Brian, and I had no idea about any of this." <laughs> and it's like, um, it's like the, the funny what the thing fuck? is, uh, Bill English's story isn't too different from that. Um, that's the, the, the I, I think that's why I got the confused. So, yeah, talk yeah. a little bit about this Bill English character because you aptly sort of describe him. What's interesting, and I say maybe we'll sort of dovetail into this as the conversation goes on, but it's like you're you're like me. I mean, I don't know when you necessarily came up into this UFO business and started sort of following it, um, but it's like there's there's just a whole slew. It is a lot like wrestling, where it's like there's just a whole slew of colorful characters from the 80s, you know, in the 70s and 80s and sort of early 90s. And it's sort of that, that kind of like the Go Rightly book. There's like all these different colorful characters that. Um, to me, that's like I didn't come up in that era, so it's like oh, that fascinates me. These people, these different, you know, all these all these like warring factions and crazy people, and all these people are not using their real names, which is the most yeah. weirder, the weirder aspect yeah. of it. It's yeah, I I I never well, I've been you know some of these guys when I read Go Rightly's book, and and before this, I, I had some inkling of it, but Hal Levesque and. And Jason A. Bishop the Third, or all these people are, are just um, are just uh, are just crazy. It's just it's just nuts trying to trying to keep track. Now, what, what I, I I think I came up around the same time you did, maybe a little earlier. I started poking around on. Uh, well, I read Howard Blum's book Out There in 1993 which was like the first time I'd heard of MJ-12 or anything like that. So I was like a, a senior in high school, um, senior, senior in high school. And um, then when I got to college, like 94, 95, I discovered Usenet, 
and alt.alien.visitors and, and sort of prowled around on there and, and learned about about the Krill document and John Lear and, and Bill Cooper and all that stuff was like, you know, five years old at that point, which isn't that old, but it was like after it had sort of passed from the scene and, and Bill Cooper was off, uh, you know, being Bill Cooper and, and John Lear disappeared until he resurfaced on Art Bell in 2003 um, and, and all that stuff. So um, when, I, when I read these things, and the more I learned about it, what fascinates me the most about the late 80s in ufology is that anybody believed any of these people. I, I mean, you're, you're going to believe, you know, Bill Cooper saw a secret document, and this is what it says about the aliens. You're going to believe Bill English, who <clears throat> saw a secret document, and this is what it said about the aliens. You're going to believe John Lear, who apparently talked to somebody, and this is what he knows about the aliens. You're going to believe Bob Lazar, who was a high school swim teacher or high school swim student or something, um, but, <laughs> <laughs> and worked at worked at Area 51, whatever. Um, I, I thought the stories were fascinating, but I, I didn't, you know, believe that people believe these people. But but Bill English is is one. Bill English is still alive, so I'm gonna be really careful about what I say about him. But mm-hmm. um, two, Bill English is fascinating because he he's sort of in a nutshell. He claimed to have been a um, special forces soldier at one point, like in Vietnam, and and he was part of a team that found a crashed UFO somewhere in Southeast Asia. And then later he was stationed at a um, air force base in England. And while he was there, he saw the secret report, the secret grudge report 13 um, that or grudge blue book 13, something 13. And um, somebody who's listened to the episode on it can probably tell the story better, better than I can right now. But um, he, uh, you know, he said secret information, Pretty much, you know, the secret deal with the aliens and the government. And then, you know, he, he got in trouble and his wife left him and he, he came back to the United States and, and people tried to kill him. Um, and also he was involved with some um, actual sort of sort of straight UFO investigations. He was one of the first investigators of the uh, Cash Landrum incident in, uh, in the early 1980s. He was an investigator from um, APRO, and, uh, and, and he also uh, sold some of these stories to the Weekly World News. So some of the most in-depth reporting at the time about the Cash Landrum incident was in the Weekly World News. And some of the earliest sort of widespread stories about cattle mutilations that connected them to alien abductions was in the Weekly World News. And, uh, and, and Bill English was was behind a lot of that. And then later in the 80s, he, he goes out on the, uh, on the UFO circuit and, uh, you know, gets sort of, becomes sort of passe because his story is, frankly, unbelievable. And he gets involved in the militia scene in, oh, wow. in New Mexico. He was uh, commanding general, like commanding general of the, the Mexican, or not Mexican, New Mexican, uh, New Mexican militia, and the only reason I knew that, I mean, you can't really find that on the internet, and the reason they knew that is because Bill Cooper hated Bill English and um, them on his show, and, and English had written some internet post about Long Gone, it's like a, on a BBS or something, about Cooper, and then Cooper took like an hour and a half to to refute it angrily, sentence by sentence on his show, 
which um, <laughs> which is the only reason I I knew that he was involved in in the uh, the militia. When uh, when last I uh, tracked down Bill English, um, he uh, he was uh, on Facebook. <laughs> when he was he was last seen on Facebook. I mean I, he was on Facebook, <laughs> and uh, he had a failed run for the Republican nomination for the New Mexico. I want to say I want to say. I want to say a congressional seat. I, I want to say it was like an actual seat in Congress um, dropped out during the primary. Uh, and then he was going, he was doing a GoFundMe to raise money to write a, uh, some sort of science fiction book, um, which I wasn't aware was something somebody could do. Um, I'm going to write a book. Give me money to write this book. Can we give you money? to? Yeah. Write I was going to say like, does I, he, I would, does, I would what, do does he need that. the money to go buy a pen? I don't know. What kind of funding and, and do you need to write like, a book? And it's not like Kickstarter where like, okay, you, you're basically pre-ordering the book, you know, you know, pledge 20 bucks and you'll get a copy of the book in 15 years or something like that. It, it wasn't like that. It was yeah. just like a straight up, you know, GoFundMe sort of nestled in between the, you know, help with our medical expenses and, um, you, know, you know, help me pay rent because I got no money. But because um, the, con- the constable is yeah, going to come around any minute. The constable, you know, I, yes, the constable's coming around. Um, <laughs> he's coming to your town, but all constable's coming. <laughs> um, yes, <laughs> so Bill English is, is is one of those guys who, and and I I did have a, a member of our staff. We've got a staff here at the South West. Member of our staff, uh, investigator Jack Shepard, did reach out to English via Facebook Messenger and sent him a message asking for his point of view on, on the Bill English stuff that, that we were going to cover in the episode. And, uh, and, and Bill English did not respond. That coward. Um, but, um, <laughs> I, and I, I didn't call him out on the show. The only, the only person I ever called out on the show was, uh, and this is sort of jumping all over the place, but, uh, when I did the episode on the Mitchell sisters, uh, two contactees from uh, St. Louis, uh, one sort of recounting of their, their story was uh, by a guy calling himself Cosmic Ray and um, some, some old guy, uh, some boomer. Cosmic and Ray. Uh, he, um, he, uh, he, he wrote it in such a way as to make them sound kind of ditzy and dumb and, and kind of, decentered them from their own story and i uh on the episode i i i i basically cut a promo on cosmic ray and the episode is, is still there uh, i cut I cut a promo on cosmic ray and I, I i think i called him i think i called him a piece of trash um there and, you uh, go a week later i got an email from cosmic ray, ray. <laughs> <laughs> He was not happy. I called him a piece of trash. Um, so, so this, and, and I, I didn't broadcast it, but I did write up an, an apology. And, and he and I, he and I worked out our differences. I, 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 I acknowledge that I, that I, you know, let my emotions get the better of me. And, and while I disagree with his his presentation of the uh, uh, of, uh, of of the Mitchell sister story, I uh, I, I should not have. Um, I should not have dog walked him like I did, and uh, you know I, sh- I sh- should not have called him a piece of trash. Um, 
I, I say I let my emotions get the better of me. It, it was all scripted out. But um, so yeah, Cosmic Ray contacted me. Very very rarely do do the subjects of the shows contact me, largely because they're dead. So yeah, that was gonna. That's what I was gonna say in a sense. Like uh, I know you don't do interviews, but I, I the the. If you did, the kind of interviews I would like to see you do are sort of, I would, again, with the wrestling, but it's like shoot interviews. Like where you, maybe you just interview the people who are like Bill English or if you could like somehow dig up a Jamie Shandera or like someone who hasn't yeah. been around forever, you know, like someone who hasn't been around forever, someone who's been gone for a while who can kind of just like give you a sort of time capsule of what they were doing in that period would be would be that really would be, sort of an interesting avenue. That would be interesting. Um that would be that, that's tough because like a lot of these people, you know, they're basically uh, this yeah they're 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 gone they're dead they're presumed dead. Um, they're Jamie Chandray, um, who did he even exist? What was his real name? Um, but the thing is, people in UFO world are either desperate to get back into UFO world or do not want anything to do with you at all. Don't even mention my name. Don't bring me up. I am out of it. Do not connect me to anything. Right, um, exactly, yeah. And, and there's, there's very, very little of the, oh, yeah, I did UFO stuff back in, uh, back in the 90s. Yeah, yeah, I don't think about it much these days. But, uh, yeah, inter- interesting time in my life. You don't see a lot of that. You, you see a lot of people trying to stage comebacks. Um, you, you see some people stage comebacks every uh, – every three or four years or so. Um, and yeah, then yeah. people in the field like, oh, my gosh, have you heard about this guy? Said, yeah, about five times. Uh, but, um, <laughs> yeah. but, yeah, as far as, like, people who are out, they want to stay out oh. and yeah. get very irritated when they a light is shown on what they've done. I've got some examples. I'm not going to mention their names because I don't want to get, get any emails. But, um some people, you know, and that's the thing. I mean, it's a great idea. I mean, there are some people. Jamie Chandler's one that would be phenomenal. Like a Bill Moore, you know. But you're exactly right. You're exactly right that like the people, if they bail on the field, if they have bailed on the field, and that's not like that sounds pejorative, but it's not because like uh, Paul Kimball, I'm sure he's listening or he will be listening uh, later down the line. But it's like he always gives me shit about it because when I first kind of hung out with him like ten years ago, I'm like, I'm gonna get the fuck out of this field. It's crazy. You know, as people, as people are all crazy. So it's like, here I am. I'm still doing it, like, almost 20 years later. Um, but it's, yeah, that's kind of, that, that yeah, it's definitely there's this sense, like, if you get out, you, you it's like you got out of, it's like you got out of the circus or something. It's like, you don't want to yeah. look back on your time in the circus, because, like, that was weird shit happened, man. Like, a lot of people don't, don't wax nostalgic about their time in UFO world. Yeah, and, and, and some of the people I've talked to who who are out and want to stay out, you know, they, they had run-ins with not great people, you know, and, yeah. and you know, had, had things damaging happen to them. Um, and, you know, it, it, it's like, and, and sometimes there's some stories where, you know, maybe I should reach out to this person and, and get their, and, and get their perspective now. But then I realized, you know, that's what I'm doing. I'm not, I'm looking at what was going on then. I'm thinking yeah. in particular of um, uh, the Leah Haley episodes I did, um, the uh, the abductee 
um, who, who sort of shifted from I was abducted by aliens to it was a military abduction thing, um, sort of shifted that perspective. And um, she wrote Cito's New Friends, you know, the, um, the honestly the very innocuous. Uh, it's infamous, but it's innocuous. Um, I, think, yeah. I think I talked about this on Conspiranormal. If you read those words and don't look at the pictures, it's fine. It's the pictures. It's the artwork that is just the creepiest thing ever. It's all uncanny valley, strange. Like these, these pictures of these kids are designed to make you uncomfortable. It's like hits that psychological spot where it freaks you out, you know. Um, and Leah Haley didn't do the illustrations. Um, some person who would probably prefer I didn't mention her name because she's a terrible artist did the illustration. <laughs> and, um, and, and, but, but Leah, Leah Haley gets, gets blamed for it. But, but she's somebody where I was like, you know, should I, should I drop her a line and, and, and see, you know, where she's at on this? But, you know, she talked to Jack Brewer, you know, in, in recent years, Jack had, had written up, you know, her story on, on his blog. And, um, you know, so there were, there were more recent things and I was really looking at, at her, her story and, and sort of the doc, her, the documentation of her story that was out there. And so, yeah. you know, and, and, you know, I'm not sure how much she would want to talk about that stuff. And um, so it, it's, it, it's like I'm a historian, not a journalist. Yeah, so so there you go. Are, the, the one, the one interview I've done, um, uh, a guy named Matthew Cressall, and he, uh, he had just written a book about, um, or just published a book about Dark Skies, the series Dark Skies, sort of an in-depth analysis of it. So I, I, I wanted to have him on because uh, I, I liked the book a lot, and um, I, I, I like Dark Skies. And uh, somebody, I think somebody said, you should interview, I forget the guy's name, but the guy who created Dark Skies. He's on Twitter. He's a big UFO guy, right? Uh, Bryce Zabel. Think. Right, yeah. Able, yeah. Um, yeah, it's like, well, I don't, you, you can, I don't care about what he wants to say about the show now. I want to talk to somebody who's examined the show in depth and probably knows it better than the creator does. Um, so it, it's, yeah. And, uh, yeah, it's, yeah, I, so, I can see in a two in a sense, this is like, no, this has nothing to do with Bryce Zabel, but it's like, it, it's sort of like, you kind of want that detached perspective, in a sense, from someone who studied it, who wasn't sort of a part of the creating of it, and I think. I mean, that's just sort of my – in the preference realm, like, what would you rather uh, learn about? Um, you know, there's two, different, there's two different perspectives on that. But what you, you raised an interesting point, too, about the people who leave ufology, a lot, oftentimes, too, whether it actually happens – or whether it's sort of a, their own paranoia run amok. But often, like you kind of alluded to, it's like a lot of people, they leave because they got freaked out. Like they either yeah. freak themselves out or something happens that they, they get freaked out. And they're like, I don't want to do this anymore. So that's that, 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 even if you reach out to them 10, 15, 20 years later, like you're probably just, just sort of picking at an old wound where it's like, hey, you want to talk about that thing you were doing until those guys showed up? <laughs> To check right. your gas yeah. meter and you freak the fuck out, <laughs> you know. Yeah. So, you know, I, I don't want to like. I, I don't want to. Oh gosh, I sound. I sound so so sensitive and caring here, but I don't want to resurface any trauma for people. You know, right, right. Yeah. And um, even even the act of asking them might, you know, make them uncomfortable. <laughs> and and the sort of people like we've been talking about who would be interesting to uh, to, to talk to, you know, they're 
you know, there's a reason, there's a reason they're not around anymore. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, it, it's, so it's, yeah, that, that, but that would be, man, UFO, UFO shoot interviews. That's like, like, you know, he's, he's going to talk to one person and it's us and we've got him for an hour, you know, tune in. Um, yeah, that, exactly. that, that, would that would be, be that would be cool. That would be interesting. Actually, I think it would be hilarious if I if I were to interview with Jamie Chandra and, and and just be like, tell me about it, tell me about everything in your life except MJ12. It's, it's just not even approach the topic. Especially you're like, where the fuck have you been? <laughs> like, Jesus, yeah. dude. It, 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 it's like, so yeah, it's like I, I don't care about MJ12. We all know it's fake. Tell me where you disappeared to. You know, that that's yeah, what I, yeah. I wanna know what you've been doing since since nineteen eighty seven or whatever. Um that would be that would He's be probably fun. like one of my white whale characters in this field now. Um like I I wish I had sort of like a like, I'm sure there's a way you could do it, I'm sure, but I wish I had like a way to look back and find certain spots in the like I'd like to know how long I've been talking about Jamie Schindler. It had to be at least like since I had Greg Bishop on the first time in season one. I think that was like oh, you know, so we're yeah, that's how like, long. Like 2005. Yeah, yeah something like that. Yeah, that's how yeah. long Jamie Chandra as a character has has fascinated me because he's just so mysterious. Um, you know, and it Every, until really everybody, I, until I read Go Rightly's book, it never dawned on me. And it's like it's probably not even his fucking name. Is he's probably got, <laughs> so he's probably you know he's probably some completely different name, and he's just completely off the grid, and that's why nobody can find him or anything. Yeah. It's yeah. I I think that I I never until I read I read uh, and, and heard his interview with you with you a few weeks ago. I it just I just assumed his name was Jamie Chandra. Why would anybody make up a fake name? And and now I'm like none of these people's names are real. I don't trust anybody. It's like you were talking about on the show. Jack Brewer, Aaron Gullius. Who are they? Yeah. They, they don't exist. Yeah. I think Jack Jack Brewer's a football player, isn't he? Something like that. It's like you know clearly. You know, a pseudonym, Jack Brewer. It just sounds fake. So it's you know, you get the you get so you get paranoid just even being on sort of the periphery of things, just looking in. Absolutely, you start getting paranoid. So imagine how paranoid you would be if you're actually dealing with these people. I mean, um, I keep going back to Go Rightly's book. Go read Go Rightly's book, everybody. It's awesome. Yeah, it's outstanding. But, you know, he's he's meeting Tal Levesque for breakfast at some diner. And I'm sorry, my anxiety would not allow me to set up a meeting with some guy who's mixed up with this and supposedly feeding. I would freak out. Um, I, I would, I don't know, man, but, uh, yeah, I was thinking that actually. Yeah. When I was reading the book, I kind of had a similar thought about, about that whole scene. And I, I, I hope Adam's listening. Cause, uh, yeah, I didn't bring this up in the show, but yeah, I was like, Boy, that's such a like. He's kind of got ice water in his veins to even get mixed, <laughs> like mixed up in all yeah. this, and 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 list like uh, you know, just sort of hang out and sort of absorb these crazy fucking stories that these guys are throwing at him and shit. And it's just like, God, oh, wow. I don't know if I, I don't know how I'd react in that kind of situation. So I was, yeah, I was really impressed I, with that. I mean, I get freaked out when when people. Just like sometimes um, the other summer, I had my summer of library talks around Michigan. And, um, you know, sometimes there'd be three people there and one of them has some stories to tell, you know. And and it's like on the one hand, it's like I I didn't feel threatened. I mostly felt bored because they weren't very interesting stories. 
but but also you know you, you have people sort of cornering you and, and this is different than what, what Adam did obviously but, but people cornering you and, and telling you about the time that's all light in the sky right and and and, and how are you I mean I'm never sure how to react you know it's like oh wow yeah it's it, it's uh, it's pretty interesting. Oh, oh, I've got a great example of that. I've got a great example of that. I was in Shag Harbor, um, the 50th anniversary of Shag Harbor. They had a big, big festival uh, there. And um, uh, Paul Kimball um, got me on the program to talk about sort of the history of, of UFO crashes, which I, I, I just, I love that of all the people Kimball knows to come and talk about UFO crashes, you know, I'm I'm on the list of people he has bring in. And somebody was like, I was like, yeah, nobody believes this one happened either. So now, you know, so um, my my sort of very very moderate take on uh, on on flying saucer crashes. It was it was fun. They had a dance. Cool. They had a, a dance the second night there in the community center. It was, it was very sweet. Um, but uh, on the last day, there's this uh, this old man who who has information for me or Paul. I can't remember who he gave it to. I think he gave the envelope to Paul and then Paul an envelope. Gave it to me. Wow. Uh, um, a brown envelope, like a plain sort of manila envelope. It's, oh, Young boy. man, I have some very important information for you about UFOs were. So he gives like Paul this envelope and, and like without even looking Paul just sort of hands it to me and I'm like, okay. Um, and uh, the guy walks away and I open it up and it's it's pages printed off of some website. <laughs> yeah, I was just gonna say I'm waiting for it to be like a chapter of Bill Cooper's book or something. Right, like this is my, my you know, a photocopy of a handwritten diary that I kept, you know, contemporaneously with with me, you know, helping to autopsy a gray or something. No, it's <laughs> it's like, you know, fifteen pages from Stephen Greer's website or something like that. Um, right, right. So, so you know, it's it's like on the one hand, it would be very, it would be very cool to sort of have an informant feeding me information. On the other hand, it's a hassle, and so yeah, it, yeah, that's uh, that, yeah, that that's we're, we're a lot of the same thoughts there. Um, once upon a time, one of the other so awesome, but it were yeah, it were. Yeah, I'm I'm lucky in that sense too. Yeah, I don't have a lot of people reaching out to like share secrets with me, and it's like just don't, please. It's too. It, it already just sounds stressful. Just, just sounds yeah. just sounds way too stressful. Because then it's like, why are you telling me this? You, you know, am I supposed to do something with this? Am I not supposed to do something? I don't want to even. Now you, I'm already wasting too much time thinking about <laughs> thinking about right. this UFO am crash I, you just told me about. Am I supposed to leak this to the press, or am, am I supposed to take this to my grave? I I, I need some instructions. <laughs> because, no, exactly. I'm, I'm, I'm terrified to do anything with with your with your photographs of what is obviously a teddy bear painted gray. But uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, tell me about Reinhold O. Schmidt, because this sounds like one of the more interesting uh, contactee characters. Um, that's an interesting sort of. If, if I could, you know, who we should get in touch with is like, uh, is uh, Nick Redfern is great because you can always sort of throw. Uh, once I had him on the show, and I'm like, you should do like a book about FOIA documents and cryptids and shit. And like a couple of years later, I get a book in the mail dedicated, <laughs> dedicated, 
to me. <laughs> one of the dedications is to me, and it's it's essentially Excellent. the book that I that I suggested. So yeah, I'd like to see next time I talk to Nick. I'm gonna suggest it's like a book about just all the times people mixed up in UFO world like wind up a foul of the law because that would be kind of an interesting um, yeah. book because a lot of interesting characters yeah. you could talk about. But Reinhold O. Schmidt would be one of them. Reinhold O. Schmidt is is he's he is so close to being my my favorite figure from ufology and i am not going to i'm not going to use any dates other than late 50s mid uh, to mid 60s because I, I i can't remember the exact dates but Reinhold Schmidt was a um a crop buyer which uh, is basically somebody who evaluates farmers fields and buys their crops from for like the big I think I'd have a better explanation being from Indiana where I grew up surrounded by farms, but I don't. Um, but uh, he claimed to have been a passenger on a flying saucer. Uh, he was from uh, originally from Nebraska and uh, lived most of his life in you know California and, and, and further west. But he, uh, he claimed that, that he saw the saucer and he went aboard and he, they flew around and um, he, he reported to police and he was put in a psychiatric hospital for a couple of days. And then, you know, they, they came back and they, they flew him around more. And these, uh, these aliens had, um, they had German accents, uh, which, you know, Reinhold Schmidt was, uh, you know, I think uh, he was born in America. His parents immigrated from Germany. To, to Kansas, so you know, yeah, maybe everybody has a German accent when do that German. But um, <laughs> what's interesting about the story? There's two interesting things about the story. Uh, the most interesting thing is that uh, he used this UFO story to con people out of money, which is not, you know, a you know surprising story. The thing is, he actually got convicted of fraud for it because he wasn't convicted of fraud for telling flying saucer stories because that's not against the law. What he was um, convicted of fraud for was um, he was accepting investments in mines that would mine this magical mineral material that the aliens told him about that would cure cancer and do all this and do all that. He was ripping off old ladies and uh, oh, wow. he got caught, put on trial. And uh, during the trial, uh, I think what really – mentioned this in the episode – what really sort of clinched it for the prosecution was when uh, the little old, one of the little old ladies who was swindled out of her life savings, when uh, Schmidt's de- uh, defense attorney uh, made her cry under cross-examination, you're not going to win over the jury by making a little old lady cry. That, that, that is <laughs> – Wow. Oh, gosh. And, and you know, boy, I must have – gotten his lawyer at a ufo convention or something but it's it, so, so that's one thing he goes to prison for a while dies uh, not long after his release but the other great thing about it is that he actually starred in a movie called the edge of tomorrow about his contact experience it's like a movie shot on film in the the early 1960s it was directed by ron ormond who uh directed the terrible sort of uh, I think Mystery Science Theater 3000 uh, riffed this, uh, Mesa of Lost Women back in the day. And uh, Ron Ormond would go on to um, to sort of almost die in a plane crash and then devote his life to nothing but religious films. And uh, 
I'll mention those a little bit later. But but Edge of Tomorrow was the the Reinhold Schmidt story, and it is um, he's got a narrator speaking over it, and it's it's cheesy and the acting's bad, and um, if if you're familiar with movies like Manos, The Hands of Fate, it it very much looks like that. It very much looks like somebody who had no business making a movie decided to make a movie. And Ron Orman was a you know better director than that, but he didn't have a lot to work with here. And um, it you know had a red carpet premiere and everything, and like nobody showed up, and it was it was embarrassing. <laughs> but um, what's interesting is so it's interesting that 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 he starred in his own movie about you know he the contactee himself started the movie about the the contact that was fun. But I was able to to see a copy of this movie. It's not available for purchase, um, and it's not out there. And uh, I'm not going to put it out there. Uh, because the rights are owned by somebody who is not getting rid of the rights, and that is um, some mining company in Oregon ended up. What? Um, yeah, some mining company in Oregon owns the rights to the movie, which is which is crazy. But is this by way of all the legal shit with the mining and everything? Was he, did he like I, somehow? I don't it, know. It must be some kind of connection. I wonder. I I, I would think so except this mining company is a legitimate company and his mining company was fake so right right it's it's weird um it probably has to do with whoever put up the money to make the thing in the first place yeah and so it it might have ended up as part of an estate or something it's i might need i need to look back because i got an email from a listener um before i did the episode uh, saying, hey, are you going to do a Reinhold Schmidt episode? And I was like, well, yeah, probably, but, man, it's hard to find. I'd love to find this movie. And he's like, oh, I can get you a copy of the movie. He's got some sort of family-slash-friend <laughs> connection to the uh, the Ormond family. And um, and he got me a, a copy of Edge of Tomorrow. So I was like, this is awesome. The last, the last screen is like copyright, like, Onus Mining Corporation or something like that. But um, Ormond did uh, another film called If, oh, it's a, it's a Bible quote. If uh, footmen tire you, what will horsemen do? Um, and it's basically one of these sort of terrifying, scary movies about the communist takeover of the United States, complete with, with horrible special effects of people being beheaded and, and all kinds of stuff. And, oh, wow. Uh, a girl who, who like, uh, smokes cigarettes and parks in cars with boys, you know, has a, literally has a come-to-Jesus <laughs> meeting um, about uh, how the, the communists are undermining the good morals of the uh, young people of the, uh, of the United States. So it's, um, it, it, it's good stuff. And, and Reinhold Schmidt is, is, is one of those guys, and this came up on Twitter the other day, um, something I found in, uh, in the newspapers and, uh, Oh, talking about things that I've learned doing the podcast. Um, a newspapers.com subscription is so, so, so useful to just find weird little tidbits about these people. Um, and Reinhold Schmidt's a great, a great example of this because what I found was this article, you know, Mr. Reinhold O. Schmidt gave a talk on UFOs and history at, some high school in California. I remember this. Yeah, yeah. I remember you posted this. Yeah. The, the newspaper report um, <laughs> sort of went into how during the Q&A session, these kids were just, you know, 
heckling the hell out of Porn Reinhold with with questions, uh, sort of sort of like berating him for his answers to their questions being nonsensical and for his story not making any sense. <laughs> so you got this like sixty year old UFO fraudster being like schooled by these kids, which is which is hilarious. And I I never I mean I think the only place that story exists is in that one that one day there was that that one uh, newspaper report about it and and that's all that's all the only place it would um it would be yeah that's a great yeah i remember like one of the things was like well how did how come they spoke english if they're from <laughs> venus or whatever and it was he had no real answer for any of the stuff it was great um yeah it was yeah I'm full of good ideas tonight because uh, I'm like Go Rightly. I'm an idea man uh, because, uh, we, we, <laughs> you know, that Blue Book series, which people kind of panned, not really my cup of tea, but you know it would be a good show is they get, like, the rights to that A to Adam and Greg Bishop's book, A is for Adamski, and do sort of like an anthology series just doing each one of these different contactees each week. That would be yeah. interesting. Uh, yeah, that would be a cool I show. Would, I, would, I would love to see – I would love to see, and I, I think – Oh, um, somebody, I don't know, some person who I can't remember put up a, a thing that's like, you know, what UFO story would you like to see as a movie? And, and I said, Reinhold Schmidt. You know, it, 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 he, it needs, Reinhold Schmidt needs to be like an HBO miniseries or something like that. I, I yeah. think it would be hilarious because you've got this, this scam you you could do like the actual contact and sort of make it so you're not entirely sure if it's real or if it's not. You could sort of blur those lines and, and, and we know it's real, but it's presented you know in, in a good way. You could have the the high school heckling incident. You could have the trial. Um, you could do it in six episodes, and I, I think it breaks down pretty easily like that. Um, the saucer life at gmail dot com. Anybody who wants to you know hire me as a consultant for writing the script and, and higher means you pay me cash money. Um, so yeah, I'm available for, um, I'm available for consulting for classic UFO uh, drama scripting. Yeah, absolutely. But yeah, there, there needs to be something because, you know, I, I never watched the blue book series. Um, I was very relieved presented as fiction, which some people thought was like a travesty, but it's like, what you, you you want to do another documentary? Nobody cares. You know, make a story. Yeah, I don't know how else. Yeah, and it's, yeah. Well, it wasn't entirely historically accurate. Well, what is? You know, it, what is? Nobody nobody knows. Um, Heineck wouldn't have said that. Who cares? Um, but uh, Heineck is God. Who cares? Um, <laughs> man, that drive that drive to and from IKEA really took it out of me. I am angry, but. Uh, <laughs> But yeah, I, I I think there's room for for UFO fiction. I think there's there's good stories out there, and I I think there's stories with some with some heart, and some you know sort of sympathetic characters like uh, like Truman Bethram being in love with Aura Rains from the planet Clarion, and his his marriage is busting up over that. You know that that's that's good that's good TV. Um, yeah, and I think it's time for UFO TV drama that isn't focused on conspiracy. I, I think it would be nice to to separate out um, 
ufology from conspiracy uh, because it wasn't always so tied together. Heck, have a good drama about a UFO cult. You know, yeah, that'd be sort great. of lo- loosely based on Heaven's Gate or, or one of the other uh, cults that have been out there. Um, you could do that. Everybody loves cults. Um, I'm watching that HBO documentary on the Nexium cult right now, and you know, everybody loves cults. They're awesome. Um, and, you know, everybody, everybody has sort of a passing recollection of Heaven's Gate from 20-odd from years ago. So, so do something, you know, do more stuff like that. Um, that would be really interesting. Always, yeah, yeah. Don't always have us be waiting for the men in black to show up. Don't do another show that will be unfavorably compared to the X-Files. Um, or if you're really terrible, a show that's unfavorably compared to Dark Skies. Um, that, that's a pretty low bar, but, you know, it's it, <laughs> I, 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 I liked Dark Skies. I, I liked it. But, um, yeah, we, we need more stuff like that. And uh, uh, people on Twitter, do not, do not tweet at me saying, but have you watched Blah? No, I haven't, and I don't care. Um, but it's, um, I think there's room for that. I like to I, see a show. I, I just do. It, it's funny. I, I, I'm kind of a pop culture junkie, but I don't know who, I don't, I can't think of one, a show like that where people, you know, there are shows where like people were in like biker gangs, like, uh, I forget the name of it now, but it was like on FX or whatever. And, you know, people in the mafia, there's always people involved in, you know, cops, whatever, nurses, doctors, but it's like, yeah, I don't think I can think of a show where that's like about a cult. That would be an interesting. That would be a really interesting. <laughs> that would be a really interesting show. Um, I would watch that. It'd be interesting. Yeah, because it's absolutely. always like every time I see these documentaries, I'm like, it's like, I don't want to be in a cult, but I would like to see what it was, what it would be like. When we went to Atherius and uh, a few years ago, uh, the, the gang, the Paramania gang. That was, that was if, I, if ever I was going to be indoctrinated into a cult, it would have been then. And not even because I believe any of the stuff. It's just like I saw the residences, and I'm like, what is it like to live on this crazy-ass UFO cult, like, commune? Like, what is their everyday life like? I, I'm fascinated. I want to know, uh, you know, I, I think we met some kid who moved up there from Florida, and it was like, you're only, like, 19, and you're, like, really – like, what do you – what is your everyday <laughs> look like yeah. when you're not preparing for the rituals and shit. Like that would be yeah, interesting. Is it, is it basically like, I mean, I, I've visited a couple of monasteries and like Catholic monasteries and, and, you know, they've got, you know, everybody's got like assigned jobs, like, you know, cooking or, or, or things like that. And, and, or, or whatever, you know, little industry the monastery has going for itself, whether it's, you know, coffins for the indigent or, uh, Bourbon fudge, uh, Gethsemane Abbey, south of Louisville, makes fudge, which is awesome. Oh, nice. So if, if you're like not the monk, you're a monk making fudge, right? If, if you're at a UFO compound, I mean, what, what are you doing? You're making little little flying saucers, selling the gift shop. I, you know, I'm I'm not sure what's happening there. Um, I'm I'm fascinated by cults too, really fascinated. Um, I, I I I joke with um, uh, she's a frequent guest voice on the show, uh, Sasha Gimlinson. Um, that, that's a gimmick name, but uh, Sasha Gimlinson. And uh, she, she and I talk about how, how, you know, starting a cult would be, you know, it, it, it can't be that hard because it seems like there's always cults popping up. There's got to be a yeah. way to get in on this. The name is <sighs> with the, uh, the, um, 
the, uh, the, 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 the sort of process by which you convince people that, that they need to abandon their family and put themselves in, you know, you know, some kind of at, least, at the very least psychological peril to some degree, um, you know, to, to get whatever you're offering. And a lot of times what you're offering is just sort of bland sort of enlightenment or something like that. It, how, oh, gosh, I mean, how do you target the, uh, the sort of emotionally vulnerable and take advantage of them? That's what I want to know. Um, not for nefarious purposes, <laughs> but, but just to, you know, just to, to understand the mechanism. It's, um, it's, it's fascinating. And I, I, think, I think a UFO cult drama, I mean, that's money. That is money. Yeah. Paul Kimmel, get in touch with us. We'll <laughs> he, he's our he's our link to the to the TV world. Um, we'll, we'll pretend we're Canadian and, and we'll 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 figure this out. Yeah, exactly. Um, now I had one more name here on the list uh, that we I'm, I I don't think we ever really talked about this Valiant Thor character, and uh, I know he has sort of a colorful this whole thing is a really colorful story, but. I guess, I guess tell me a little bit more about this character, and um, is this the kind of thing? Because from what I could remember about it, it was kind of like it, it, it wasn't contemporaneous that he was that people thought he was from another planet. It sort of all came out in the wash later, kind of thing. Is that how it works? I don't really know weird. the story very it's, well. It's weird. In the 1950s, um, Frank Strange's Doctor uh, Doctor Frank Strange's, who was a uh, a a sort of Preacher, missionary, evangelist guy, turned UFO preacher, evangelist guy, um, wrote a uh, pamphlet book, um, Stranger at the Pentagon, about uh, his friend Valiant Thor, who was the captain of a spaceship, who had been um, living at the Pentagon, giving information to uh, President Eisenhower and Vice President Nixon about how to make everything wonderful on Earth. And Nixon and Eisenhower turned him down because it would upset the economy, right? Um, <laughs> and so Valiant Thor went back to Earth, went back to, to space, and uh, Strange's you know, was in communication with him for a very long time. And what, what's interesting about Valiant Thor is that there were supposedly photographs of him at one of uh, contactee Howard Menger's um, get-togethers out in uh, out in New Jersey. And yeah, yeah. Um, these photographs, I mean, we've, you've probably all seen them. It's uh, it's two dark-haired guys and a, a uh, a blonde woman, and um, there, that's Valiant Thor and his uh, his crewmates, the very spacely named Jill and Don. Um, so Don has <laughs> two ends. That's how you know. That's how you know he's from space. Um, but uh, but, but um, I think I've heard somewhere that uh, probably Gray Barker was behind sort of the whole photograph thing because you know it's Gray Barker, and um, and, and then you know strangers talked about Valiant Thor up through almost to, to the day he died here in the 21st century. And, um, you know, he had a story about how Valiant Thor, you know, talked to Robert F. Kennedy in, in 1968. And Kennedy uh, asked Thor if he should run for president. And Valiant Thor told him, yes, but not in 1968. Wait until 1972 and you will win. Of course, you know, Bobby Kennedy ran in 1968 and was assassinated. In August of sixty, August I think August of sixty-eight by um, by Sirhan Sirhan, and we're not going to get into the mind control stuff. But um, 
so, so Valiant <laughs> Thor was, was sort of, you know, Frank Strange's space buddy. In recent years, there have been people who have written books claiming that they, in fact, had been in contact with Valiant Thor before Frank Strange's was. I have not seen anything dating from the time um, that this supposedly took place. It's people writing after the fact saying, well, I met Valiant Thor in 1932 or something like that. But that's like a common contactee thing, to place your own contact before somebody else's contact. So you're, you know, <laughs> have a more, have a purer message. Um, more clout. Yeah. George Adamski was like the first modern contactee until all the rest of them came along and, and had their encounters, you know, sometime before, you know, November of 1949 or whatever, or 50, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm a historian. I, I don't know dates. I look them up when I need them. Need them. But that's, um, yeah, that's how it, I am. It, it's one of those, um, it's one of those things. And uh, there are books, uh, old flying saucer books being republished through print on demand services that are, are like, let's, let's say the book is called um, a for Andromeda or something. And it will be reprinted as Valiant Thor's a for Andromeda has no connection to Valiant Thor, but there might be introduction by Valiant Thor, which is bullshit. It's bullshit. That's weird. It is. Um, I think uh, Michael X was a contactee from back in the 50s, and a lot of his stuff's been republished under sort of the Valiant Thor banner. And um, I think people can, can do some digging in, in, into, you know, the, the people who might be, sort of profiting from this, but, um, and, and cause the copyright status of a lot of this stuff is, is, you know, suspect at best, you know, but, and self-publishing outfits, you know, it's all, it's all automated unless you're trying to reprint a, I don't even know it's popular anymore, a twilight book or a Dan Brown book or something. Nobody's gonna, um, you know, yeah, Amazon, yeah, or Kindle yeah. Publishing Direct is not going to be like, hey, we're pretty sure this obscure contactee pamphlet from 1957 is still under copyright. You know, that's not going to happen. So, so yeah, yeah, to, yeah. to make, make some money off this. But, but the problem with it is, not just the Valiant Thor stuff, but the other reprints of, of contactee material is that, you know, a lot of times, not a lot of times, sometimes it's not correct. Or um, Woody Derenberger's uh, Visitors from Lanulus. I bought the Kindle version that is currently for sale, and I got the original off of Interlibrary Loan, and I compared them. And there are, in the new one, there are missing chapters. There are some things that have actually oh, changed. Um, and, and so you you you, you got to be you got to be careful. And um, there's there, there's there's a lot of floating around. There are a lot of Scans of originals of some of this old stuff um, floating around in various places. Um, I, I I'm I'm never one to say, you know, find a pirated copy so you don't have to pay for the real thing. But I will say, find a pirated copy of the original so you don't get ripped off by somebody who doesn't even have the rights to sell it. Um, exactly. You know. Yeah, yeah. So I, it's you know it's. It's tricky. It, it, it's it's tricky and it it's scary because if this kind of thing is happening to flying saucer books, maybe it's happening to books about real things that are actually important. Um, not flying <laughs> yeah, saucer, yeah, not yeah. important, but um, it, it, it's 
you know, it, it, it's a it's a strange world with the Twitters and the YouTubes and the and the hashtags, right? We gotta spread this stuff around. Let's put it on the internet. You're listening to Banal of America Audio. Great heavens! What kind of radio show is this? Yeah, what what really always kind of fascinated me. It's kind of why I was confused, I guess, about the Valiant Thor thing. Was it's like it's he's like the Forrest Gump of flying saucers, where it's like he's just kind of hang, like you mentioned the Bobby Kennedy thing. He's just kind of hanging around and crossing paths with all these world leaders and shit. And it's like what this is. To- <laughs> there's only, there's only yeah, two, two photographs of him. And and what you're mentioning, too, is it's interesting. It's like it almost sounds like it's the story. Because to me, it, like, I didn't really hear about the story till not recently. I've been in this so long now. But it was like it sort of cropped up where it was like this is an obscure story from back in the day, this Valiant Thor thing. And then it had like a weird like renaissance uh, at some point uh, a few years ago or whatever. But it's like now from what you're yeah. saying, it's like now it sounds like it's turning into like fan – like people realize that they can that they can just insert Valiant Thor into anything because like nobody owns the character or right. whatever, so it's yeah, all what, devolving what, into fan fiction. Yeah, uh, Frank Strange has died, and and so and, and the reason you know Valiant Thor popped up everywhere is because Frank Strange has lived so long and 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 gave so many talks and interviews about about Valiant Thor and, and wrote books and, and everything that you know sort of was able to keep the story going and, and, and build it and, and keep it, if not, you know, believable, at least somewhat internally, uh, internally consistent. Um, yeah. Strange is a real character. I think he did some time for marijuana smuggling. He was on a plane and the plane got oh boy. searched and there was like, like I think the news report said several bales of uh, marijuana. So, uh, which is, you know, <laughs> When I think of a bale, of, a bale of anything, I think of like a giant hay bale and like five feet tall or something. It probably wasn't that much marijuana, but uh, hey, maybe it was. Who knows? Um, yeah. So it's uh, there's something you know, lots of interesting characters. Is this good? Just to throw an old wrestling reference, there's something kind of amusing about uh, when you when you read about an old marijuana bus nowadays because it's like, oh, my God, because this one that I forget what year it was. It was, like, 1987, but it was, like, Bobby Heenan got arrested at the airport for having, like, a half ounce of grass on him. And it was like, it's like, oh, Bobby, what are you doing? It's like, oh, my God, because it's such an innocent thing now. It's like, oh, Bobby Heenan running around with, with, like, with like a bag of weed all the time or something like that. It's like, of course, that makes perfect sense. Why would you arrest the guy? Just let him get on the plane. Yeah, it's um... – yeah, because it, it's so it's so weird. I mean, I mean, young pe- the young people. It has to be strange for them to to read about you know like like cops shut down major marijuana growing operation when you you drive up the interstate here you know by my house and seriously there is a billboard for a different recreational marijuana dispensary every fifteen feet. I do not know yeah. how our local economy supports a marijuana business on every block in some places. I, you'd think that the competition would just drive them out. But, um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's completely different. They're like liquor stores up here now. Um, and you know what? What they should do is they should combine the marijuana dispensaries and liquor stores. I, that's what I say. Not that I, not that I use the marijuana, but um, it, it, I assume there's like – It seems inevitable, yeah. I've always kind of wondered it, yeah. that too, like why they don't just – yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, because here in Michigan, we, we don't have liquor stores. We have what are called party stores, which confused the hell out of me when I moved here. It's like, it's a party store. I'm like, what, you buy hats and, like, confetti and shit? Um, yeah, you know, the balloons and everything, yeah. Yeah, so, so we have, have this sort of one-stop shop party store thing. Um, why not just add marijuana and cocaine and, and what are, whatever else young people need for parties? Ecstasy Whatever. Um, I'm yeah, I don't even. I don't think they even call it that anymore. The kids. I'm, I'm, only, re- <laughs> I'm only really aware of. Uh, I'm only really, really aware of heroin. Um, but uh, just because I read books. <laughs> but uh, I'm terribly square. But. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. You, you hear about about Frank Strange getting getting nailed in the marijuana bust, and you're like, why did they spend all that money on marijuana uh, on you know arresting marijuana people when. You know, there's like truckloads of cocaine. There's a mountain missing in, in Argentina, you know, or Colombia. Yeah, exactly. The cocaine comes into the country. But, um, yeah, these, these old contactees are um, – they're a hoot and irritating to, uh, to, to go back and, and look at, at things like the old NICAP newsletters where there – people like Donald Kehoe, um, who, who is just the least fun person in the history of ufology, just – He's just uh, oh he's so he's so establishment. Um ironically, uh given that he was anti Air Force and anti CIA. But you know, yeah. they're just denouncing the contactees constantly and oh these contactees are a stain on on our on our field and, and they make people take us less seriously and, and we've really got to you know, purge the contactees from our from oh, our oh. It's just like yeah, but but they're they're fun and you know out at Giant Rock they got a party. I I I, I tell you I I if I had a time machine, I could conclusively prove that a convention at Flying uh, not Flying Giant Rock was probably way more fun than any given NICAP event ever. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. 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 All these all these you know interesting strange people milling around and and you know Gray Barker and Jim Mosley and all those guys you know mingling with the contactees and everything. Uh, in the other place, you have yeah. a, another talk about how we are pushing for congressional hearings on the UFO matter. And it's like, yawn. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, exactly. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of it, like that. Yeah, yeah. We, we kind of mentioned this a little bit earlier, but it's like, yeah, this, just uh, I do, I do get kind of irritated where it's like this attitude is like, I, I get that if aliens are coming here, this is like the great, the biggest story ever. But it's, but it's like just fucking relax, just relax. We, you know, we don't, we don't know if aliens are coming here. It's just, it, it, it's a very self-serious field, um, you know. With that, at times it's like this isn't life or death, man. Like this has been going on for like sixty years. The aliens still aren't here, so just chill the fuck out and have a good time. Yeah, um, yeah exactly. Yeah. Um, it, it's. <laughs> I, I think that there's a lot of people with with some status issues, some status insecurity in in the more serious fields of ufology. Um and and you know, that's well, that's between them and the therapist or whatever, but it, it it's like we we have this like oh, who is this person? What was their position? Okay, they they say they were this. Well they were working in this job, therefore they are trustworthy. Um somebody somebody tweeted out, um, you know, Ufology, 1947 to 2017. You can't trust the government. 
ufology 2017 to the present to the present the government said this it must be true um yeah you know, it, it, it it's just it's ridiculous i, I don't i don't know maybe i'm i really to, to listeners out there who are really into this stuff i you know I, I still love you as a person. I, I'm just not interested in the topic, and I enjoy expressing my irritation and indeed boredom with it. But um, because I, I'm I'm old school, and yeah, I like the person. I like the personalities. I like the stories, and just the personalities and stories in, in some of the modern UFO stuff just isn't not that fun. You know, I, I, you know I, I don't get a kick out of listening to Lou Elizondo talk. I just don't. Um, he, he doesn't entertain me. Um, I, and I, 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 I wish to be entertained because this is a exactly. hobby. This is fun. This is I am a fan. I'm exactly. I'm a fan exactly. of, of various parts of it. And if it doesn't entertain me, it's not my religion. It's not my job. So why am I going to put up with any aspect of it that I don't find entertaining? Exactly. Exactly. I, I'm not. I think, yeah. I think there's a disconnect sometimes where people kind of like they confuse themselves where they're not really they, – they go beyond – they're not a fan. I don't want to say they're like a fanatic, but they sort of self, – they're self-styled activists or something. And it's like, why yeah. – you know, I don't want to be an activist yeah. for UFOs. Like I, there's more yeah, important things in the world. The activist trend is 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 interesting, and I was going to say concerning, um, but it's it, it's it's not really concerning. I'm I'm not terribly worried that people who are self-styled UFO activists are some would, would if it wasn't for UFOs they would be, you know, campaigning for other causes. I you know they they probably would not be doing anything, but you know, you know self-styled UFO activists whose only activism is putting hashtag UFO Twitter and hashtag UAP, you know, on tweets and, you know, tweeting at, I don't know, some senator about UAP truth and secrecy now. It's like, nobody reads that. Nobody, nobody cares. Nobody cares. If you think they care, it's because they want you to think they care because there's something else they don't want you looking at. And I don't right, mean that right. in a ooh, ooh, cover-up way. I mean in a, ooh, let's get people talking. Let's talk about UFO stuff or what the Defense Department has or hasn't been doing. And, you know, let's, let's steal a bit of the news cycle from the nation's crumbling infrastructure <laughs> or, or something exactly, like that. Exactly. Um, you know, it, it's, it, it's a way to, it, it's a way to, to distract and to obfuscate. And, and yes, that's, cynical and yes one of these days we will all be proven wrong when all of the truth comes out but not today you know yeah maybe yeah. someday it's, but well I, I'll, I'll, I'll i'll this is a funny thing that happened today somebody on twitter mentioned uh if you watch closely pretty much every one of the dod's twitter accounts just gets trolled by hashtag ufo twitter every time they tweet anything and my friend uh, Chris Cogswell, the Mad Scientist podcast, uh, subtweeted that and wrote, a very effective strategy to prove you aren't a group of crackpots. And I think, <laughs> I think that pretty much 
kind of sums up in a way uh, hashtag UFO Twitter sometimes. I mean, it's a, it, there's a community for everything on Twitter, so and they're all passionate about shit. So it's like I'm just familiar with this one, and it's like, wow, you guys are really into this shit. <laughs> yes. Yes, and uh, it, it's and, and, yeah, and, and it, it's Twitter. There, you know, everybody's deeply into something, um, depending on what corners you go into. But yeah, I mean, I don't mean to 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 bash people's interests. I just, it, it, uh, I'm a grumpy old man, which makes for riveting radio. But um, yes, it, it, it's like, well, I am too. So it's good. It, it, it's you know. Well, it, that, the problem is we're, we're, we're Gen Xers, and, and, and so you know chronologically we're surrounded by incompetence on on both ends. So, you know, well, I said this complaining about the world is, is what we do. I said this to some. I think I said this to you and a few of our friends uh, recently, where it's like, and again, like this is not, this is just me. So, like as you said earlier, it's like, between me and my therapist, right? But it's like when I got into this, when I started following UFOs originally. It was just like a bunch of super old dudes um, who were like crusty old dudes who had been in this forever and some of them colorful characters and something. And it's like – it just seems like all of a sudden I woke up one day and it was like all of a sudden everybody was younger than me. And it was like they all all of a sudden had just shown up and they hadn't been doing this for like five decades. You know, It was like it went from like this Friedman period where it was like all these dudes who have been around for like 20, 30, 40 years and – they're hard, they're hard scrabble dudes, and some of them were in the army, and some of them claim they were in the army, and you know all this other <laughs> stuff. And, and then you know, I turn around one day, I kind of stop paying attention to UFOs for a little while. I, I, I look into it again, and it's like, holy shit, everybody's younger than me, and they just got into this like three or four years ago. It's yeah, like, whoa. It, it, it was like, yeah. When when I got into it, there was like there was Stan Friedman's and the Bruce McAbee's and the um, oh. Uh, Roger, Roger Hall, not Roger Hall, uh, Richard Hall. Dick Hall? Yeah, Dick Hall, yeah. Um, you know, those guys and, um, and the, the sort of triumvirate of the Hopkins, Mac, Jacobs, sort of, sort of holy trinity of abductions. And, uh, and, you know, really only, only Jacobson's really doing much now. Whitley Strieber is still around, but I I don't know if Whitley... Whitley Strieber is Whitley Strieber is his own genre of yeah he's like a variety <laughs> show all this he, he he yeah a variety that yes he's he's his own thing and 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 love him or love him or loathe him he's he's Whitley Strieber and he will always be Whitley Strieber although what Whitley Strieber is from one minute to the next is up for debate so you you've got you know this this old guard and then like you said they they, they sort of fade away and there's no Almost, it's kind of like politics in some ways. It's like our generation is is kind of underrepresented. It went from boomers to millennials, you know, almost. And, and us here in the middle, going, wait, wait, what? And everybody's older yeah, than me. Yeah, yeah. Everybody's younger than me. And and part of that demographically is that, you know, demographically there are fewer Gen Xers than the other two groups. Just numerically, there are are fewer of us. So, um, but it, it, yeah, it, it's it's and you know. The, and the, 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 these young guns of ufology are, are, I, 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 some of them are great. Some do really good work. Some are entertaining. Some are, are hardworking, entertaining, 
hard working hustlers, you know, who yeah. who want a career in UFO attainment and are going to get it. And God bless them. They're 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 working it and they are they are making a name for themselves. You've got a lot of people, not just in ufology, but in, in sort of the, the broader paranormal world, which is much, much bigger and more prominent than it used to be. Sort of the uh the sort of, you know general weirdness and strangeness world. You've got a lot of people claiming to, to be doing that as sort of semi professionally and you've got a handful of people pulling it off. Which is always how it is. But um Yeah. I uh, I was on, on Twitter a couple months ago. I um, I, uh, I asked Greg Newkirk if he was ready for um, for the legions of, uh, of of Greg and Dana Hellier cosplayers to uh, to emerge, and he was like, "Oh, it's already happened," and it freaks me. Yeah. Out. And because there's like the, the Hellier folks, they sort of spawned this this cottage industry of being. Um, dollar store hell your people you know and because uh, because the new perks and, and and their crew i i love hell your i i greatly enjoyed it um do i agree with all their conclusions I, I don't have the basis to agree or disagree i enjoyed watching the program they made which is the point yeah. of watching a program right um and, Absolutely. and then there's just these people who are like well I also do magic and ritual, and I also have had these experiences. I've been doing this for six weeks, and let me tell you about <laughs> what I can offer you at my website for fifteen dollars. It's like, yeah, come on, man, just you know, everybody's desperate <laughs> to hire people. Go, 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 flip burgers, man. Your 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 tarot readings are are uninteresting. But um, it, it, it's, yeah, yeah. you know, it, it's, it, it's, it's, yeah, it's an interesting world out there. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. And, and I don't want to, I'm so grumpy. I am so damn grumpy tonight. Um, Gullius says, you've never heard him before. And Gullius says, anybody who spent five minutes of me will tell me that's how he is. Um, <laughs> here's the thing. I'm not sure at what point the idea of being a professional weirdo became a viable option because whether it's ufology or cryptozoology or ghost hunting or any of these things, you, you, you look and it is a very small, talked about this before, very small number of people who've ever pulled off doing it professionally full-time. Their job is UFO research and, and right. presentations and writing. It's like Stan Friedman and a few others, maybe. But you know, and other fields, I'm I'm not sure. And and even even some, I was, I was thinking somebody like like Lauren Coleman. You know, he's done this sort of stuff professionally for a long time, but but he does a lot of different stuff and writes about a lot of different topics. It, it's, yeah. not just, uh, it's not just it's not just Bigfoot and uh, and synchronicities and, and and things like that, um, but you know it, it seems to be this idea that well I like this topic how am I going to make money at it and and you know that that sort of dividing line between being a a fan or somebody who's interested in it and and declaring yourself to be 
some kind of authority. And yeah. I, I think that this, this sort of commodification and commercialization of, of UFOs is, it's not a new thing, but I think in this age of um, like things like Patreon and, and, and being in e-commerce and being able to, to run a business from your phone, you know, no matter where you might be at a given time, has, has sort of opened up you know, or broken down a lot of logistical barriers to doing this sort of thing for a living. And um, I, I think there are some people who, who maybe mistakenly think that, that this is a, a full-time, you know, permanent career option. And, you know, if, if they can do that, that's awesome. I think some of them will be able to. Um, but, and, and everybody listening out there can probably, is probably thinking about, about the same names as I am of, of people who are like, who are like, yeah, they're going to, this is their thing. This is, this is, what they do, and if they do something else on the side to help make the rent, they're clever enough to keep up the illusion that that they are a successful professional full-time necromancer yeah. <laughs> or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and uh, but you know, it's it, it's interesting. I'm I'm fascinated by the business of it um, in in a lot of ways because it, it's you know everything is everything's a gig, right? You can make money at all this stuff, but. Uh, I am very yeah, that's the, that's I'm the, sorry. That's the thing that seems to definitely have emerged like in recent years. Yeah, this I, I yeah, I guess I was sort of searching for the word, but it's like yeah, this gig economy or like this uh subscription <laughs> subscription based life, if you will, where people just uh you know, it, it they they do. They launch these Patreon I call it Patreon. I don't even know that's just how hot of touch I am. They launch these <laughs> Patreons. Um and it's like it's and it's not just the paranormal. It's like all kinds of other places and in, in fields and stuff like that. Uh, I keep bringing it up. Like you and I are wrestling fans. There's tons of different wrestling pat, patrons that you know. Some of them are really good and get a lot of subscribers and they do well. And and but I I am willing to reckon that the vast majority again this goes for like the paranormal for wrestling for people who do a roller derby <laughs> subscription service or whatever, you know, it kind of just peters out at, at not, not a livable income. It's like you, you do all right. And as long as people kind of realize that, and I, I kind of, I think that my advice to people in a sense would be like, don't like, if if you have a job, like, don't think of it like that your job is, is, is uh, subsidizing your, your paranormal career. Just think like that your paranormal career is just like a bonus money on top of what what your job is. You know what I mean? If yeah. that makes any sense. Yeah. Yeah. I um I posted on Twitter yesterday that, that um, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but every time I think about about, hey, maybe I should do one of those Patreon things with the podcast. I think about all the Patreons I've seen that have like three subscribers, you know, and I'm like the monument to um, somebody overestimating their value in the marketplace, right? And and I right. don't want to, and I'm I'm sort of chastened by that. You know what? I don't want to be I don't want to be the guy who, whose Patreon has got like like five people, but I'm committed to providing extra content for those five people, right? It, it's like that 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 don't scale. You know that that's just I'm no business major, but the, the amount of money for the amount of time, you know, it's it's not great because you've got to provide what you said you'd provide um, unless yeah. you suck, right? Um, so I, I I've had you know a lot of 
a lot of good fortune from my listeners and just in getting donations and those donations, you know, you know, make it so I'm not, I'm not losing money with my hobby. You know, it's like the hobby doesn't lose me money. Um, But, you know, then, you know, that way if I want to do an extra episode or a little special thing or, or something, I, I, I just do it and, everybody gets it because it's just something, something fun to do. I, you know, I, I subscribe to probably too many Patreons, none paranormal. Um, it's all other stuff, but, uh, and I like it. I, I, I jump in and out of, of different ones and I've subscribed to the, um, QAnon anonymous podcast Patreon for a long time. Cause their bonus episodes were actually their bonus episodes. I like them much better than the regular episodes of the podcast, which is, you know, why they got my money, my five dollars every month. But yeah. you know, you you've gotta have you've gotta have enough content to, to justify somebody somebody giving you five bucks a month because you know, it it's I'm not gonna say it's a lot of money, but for some people that's a lot of money. That's that's Yeah, these things bucks. add up too. Yeah. Oh gosh. Yeah. It's, it's like, like everything's a subscription my, now. I got my Patreon receipt one month in my email, like 75 bucks. What the hell am I doing? <laughs> it's like, go down. It's like, I forgot I was even subscribed to these things. It's, it's the, it's the planet fitness model of, of consumption. Make it a small enough amount that people forget they're paying it and, uh, yeah. and never cancel. I say this as somebody who hasn't used his planet fitness membership in two years. Um, not just because of the pandemic, but, um, it's, uh, yeah, it, it, it's an interesting model, and I, I, I find it, I, I find the business side of it fascinating. Um, I, I find the self-published books or the um, the print-on-demand stuff, um, you know, where you're, you no longer have to have a trunk full of co- of books that you bought, right? Um, so yeah, you self-publish yeah, yeah. a book, you don't you don't have to lay out two thousand bucks. Um, it's which is which is great, but on the other hand, you've got you've got so many expenses and nonsense and, and, and tedious work on you um, to, to, to you know, design the cover and design the layout, make sure everything works with their system and, and have the formatting all correct. And, 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 you know, the, the careful proofreading and, oh, God, I can't, I can't do that. I mean, I, yeah, it's a lot of work. If, if I would have self-published my, the books I've written instead of publishing them, you know, through publishers and traditional means, maybe I would have made more money, but I would have spent money paying somebody to design a cover. I wouldn't have gotten the book into as many libraries as my books are in. Um, and, you know, it, anything wrong with it would have been on me. Whereas anything wrong with it now, I can say, oh, that was the publisher. You know, oh, yeah, that was out of my hand. That wasn't anything to do with me. Well, they hired they hired the copy editor. I don't know why that semicolon's there. Yeah, I, I can always blame somebody else, which is which is nice. Although with with the publishers I've had, I I don't have to. They're they're uh, they're all good people. But um, but yeah, you, you can do it. But it's it you can do it. But it's hard work. Yeah, yeah. Well, a lot. Yeah, it's interesting. Somebody uh, Zach Copley put it best here. It's like uh, UFO side hustle. That's that's kind of what I was trying yeah. to recommend to people. Just because uh, if you I mean, there was a period there in my life when I, I 
was sort of I guess you could I wouldn't say I was like trying to make it in this in this but it was sort of like this is all I was doing I didn't have any other job so I'm like well, let's try and maximize it's just a lot of work you you really have to you uh you really have to hustle in this field and I I, necess- I don't necessarily have that level of uh of hustle which is why I I'm very fortunate I've locked into a fantastic job so um you know fate smiled upon me but that 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 gives me the benefit to have this show that is really just a hobby, you know? And so I'm never, yeah. I, 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 you know, I don't have, I, I don't get all, like you were saying, you don't look at, I don't even look at how many people listen to the show. I just do it just for fun and for the people that have been listening for 15 years and, and, uh, and just, do, you know, and that, that's, I guess that, you know, when people, when you're just doing it, as long as you just keep doing shit for fun, it's less stress than, than like, I've got to. I, you know, I got the podcast. I just put out the podcast. Now I need to spam every fucking Facebook group <laughs> to let everybody yeah. know that, that I have a show out this week with with like Aaron. Like, look at dude. I'm gonna like post it on my personal Facebook, my personal Twitter, and that's it. You know, I'm not gonna I'm not yeah. gonna go stumping around and try and uh, get listeners. I guess that's the thing. It's like I'm not trying. <laughs> I think you're kind of the same way. It's like I'm not trying to actively get more listeners. If they listen, that's great. Right. Um, you know, I'll just keep doing shit and trying to do the best I can and try and put up the best show I can. Um, exactly. And, that, and that's it. I'm not. I'm not like uh, yearning for this, <laughs> for this, for this uh, growth or something. I think you see that a lot from people. Um, you know, whether they're trying to grow right. their Patreon or just their name. Right. And I. I don't. I, I don't feel like I have to worry about um, about numbers of of listeners. You know. For, for advertising, or I don't have to worry about, or I don't have to like try to, you know, get my podcast on a network uh, or something, or like, oh my gosh, I'm not on YouTube. I should, you know, put my podcast on YouTube too. I put a couple episodes up there. It was, it seemed like a hassle. I don't care. You know, it, it's, and I, exactly. I said on an episode, yeah. and it, was, it was sort of, sort of tongue in cheek. I, I said, I think one episode I said, I just want you to know, don't tell your, do not tell your friends about this podcast. Don't tell people about this podcast. Yeah, yeah. It's just, it's just us here. We're fine. We all love each other. We don't need, we don't need anybody else. And I was, I was like joking, but I, I kind of wasn't, you know, because, because people who listen to the show know, know what it is and, and they, they, right. they know what to expect. And, you know, if they, if they don't like it, they're long gone. Um, and and so you know it's it, you know I, I don't feel like fielding emails from uh, from from people saying you need to interview Lou Elizondo or something like that. No, I don't. I, I don't need to interview anybody. Um, but right, you know, right. Oh, oh, oh! I I got. I thought it was spam. What well, was spam? But um, email from some agency which connects podcasts with guests to help grow your footprint in this emerging marketplace. You know, basically just, this was like written by a bot, you know? Um, <laughs> and it was, it was, it was just like, like we heard, Oh, they actually, Sasha Gimlinson, our, our guest, but we heard your interview with Sasha Gimlinson, which made us think that you'd be perfect for our network. You mean you heard my eight minute little holiday hiatus mini thing where I had a fun little interview with each of my guest voices. Who's been on the show before. That's what you heard. And you decided I'm perfect for your agency? Sure. Um, it, it's just, but there are people who are like, oh my gosh, I need to look into this because this can be a great way to grow my podcast. Because 
I'm trying to make it big and I'm trying to get sponsors and I'm trying to get on this network and I'm trying to, to be a name. And, and yeah. that's fine. That's great if that's what you want to do. But what a huge number of layers of things beyond the content of the show to have to worry about. I enjoy exactly. working on the content of the show and the technology side of it because I like fiddling with that stuff. Anything beyond that, I, you know, if it wasn't for posting pictures of supper every Sunday night, I probably wouldn't even be on it on, you know, social media uh, because that's 90% of what the show's social media is. Um, got, did get a, a message, not a, com- not a comment on a picture, but a message um, a few weeks ago from somebody who said, why aren't there more UFOs on your page? All you show is food, and my food looks better. And I was like, <laughs> that's dynamite. I looked at this person's, this person's bio, and they said they were a kindness advocate. I'm like, geez, start with your wow. unsolicited direct messages about my cooking. Um, if you want to be a kindness advocate. Oh, little sneak preview for those listening. Uh, this week's uh, Sunday sauce or supper is going to be honey chipotle marinated uh, pork chops, and I'm going to be making a uh, raspberry pound cake from scratch. Ooh. So, uh, yeah, nice. yeah, uh, moving into good. the baking realm, some, something I haven't done much of. So we'll uh, see how that goes. It's supposed to uh, rain on Sunday, and I was going to grill the pork chops. So we'll see what happens. Interesting. All right, I'll keep keep an eye out for those pictures. Now, we're we're it's, we're it's sort of wild. heading towards the end. The the one I. Uh, I want to ask you about, uh, you talked about this at the Strange Realities Conference, and uh, you got a book coming out soon. So talk about this. This You've written about conspiracies before, but you're, you, you've put together a new book um, that's a very unique yeah. spin on conspiracy theories that I, I, I find fascinating. So talk a little bit about what yeah. you've been working on. It's, um, I, I just finished, um, I just finished uh, writing it and submitting it to the publisher at the and, uh, well, it should have been the end of March, ended up being the beginning of April. And uh, I just got an email today from, uh, some, from uh, the, um, one of the assistant editors. They've, uh, they've been working on um, titles, good titles, because I, I threw them some, some ideas. But what it's going to be is We Will Be Victorious, Triumphalist Conspiracy Theories in American Politics from 1990 to 2020. And... Um, in it, I talk about what I've, I've termed triumphalist conspiracy theories, um, conspiracy narratives that lead to uh, or that promise a happy ending, um, a positive aspirational conspiracy theory, uh, as opposed to like the, the sort of standby example I use of a, a traditional conspiracy theory is, you know, blah, 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 blah. And then all of us will be put into FEMA death camps or then the alien hybrids will arise and subjugate us. Or then the new world order will, you know, guillotine all the Baptists or something. You know, (laughs) it's something, you know, something bad, but, but there are conspiracy theories uh, in both politics and ufology that, that sort of posit that there is a conspiracy, but we will, push through and the good guys will win as opposed to the good guys will continue to fight a holding action until they finally succumb to the, the, the forces of evil. And um, I sort of examined this through, uh, through three, uh, three separate sort of big narratives and, and organizing this was, 
was a mess. This, this, I, I've never. I, I told the editor when I when I submitted it that I, I have never written and thrown out so much stuff while writing anything. It's by far the hardest book I've ever I've ever had to write. And um, so the, the the first one I talk about, I talk about um, Nasara, uh, the Nasara mm-hmm. Act, the National Economic Security and Recovery Act. It goes by different names, but this idea that there's a secret law that when implemented will solve everybody's financial problems and the bad guys will all uh, go to Gitmo and everything's going to be uh, everything's going to be okay. Uh, the second one is the UFO disclosure movement. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I sort of examined that specifically through um, sort of the work of Stephen Greer and Richard Boylan. Who, who take very different approaches to a, a positive UFO disclosure. So, so instead of the aliens are here and they're going to kill us, um, the aliens are, are here, it's being covered up, but we will overcome the cover-up. We will triumph over the cover-up, and right. we will have free energy and cures for cancer, and the bad guys will all be sent to get them. And then yeah. the third one, which was – sort of out of my hands and I had no choice based on current events and I, I hated every minute of researching and writing it because it's so frustrating. It's QAnon. Um, right. Which is sort of sort of the archetypal, you know, the storm is coming. You know, we are going to triumph. The bad guys are going to get my sensing a pattern. Um, and, uh, and so I covered it and I ended up, you know, I, I had to, I was supposed to, I was originally planning to finish the book at the end of December but when all the post-election stuff happened, I was like, I, I emailed him like, I gotta, I, I gotta cover this. I gotta keep. I, I can't end the story now, you know. Um, right, right. So I ended up talking a little bit about Lynn Wood and it, his sort of transformation from, you know, sort of defamation lawyer to Trump supporter to somebody who who does not claim the QAnon label but is echoing their their rhetoric in, in various ways and sort of this, this transformation post-election and, and, and the, the sort of transformation of QAnon and the connections between QAnon and the older Nasara narrative and uh, some interactions between QAnon and UFO disclosure. And I thought about talking about Corey Good and David Wilcock, but um, I thought it was more interesting to talk about Michael Sala because he, ah, he sort of had this, this sort of solid academic, in quotes, exopolitics brand, and and then gradually, sort of in a in a almost I don't want to say an almost rational way, but in a, a, a more cautious, reasoned way, sort of segued into in, integrating not parroting QAnon talking points, but integrating QAnon talking points into his own long-standing disclosure ideas require you to have me on the show to talk about it more when the book comes out, whenever that is. Yeah, for sure. But um, we'll talk about it in more detail. But it, it, it was interesting because, um, you know, these are, these are theories and, and, and stories that I've been looking at for forever in, in the, the case of, uh, of disclosure stuff. Um, and, uh, and also, I've been fascinated by Nasara ever since I, I first heard about it. I think I actually heard about it before I even saw the Waiting for Nasara documentary that came out back in, like, 2008, 2009, something like that. So so I I love those topics. I just, and and, and QAnon, I I found frustrating. 
for a, uh, a, a variety of reasons. And, and most of all, because it, it fully represents what a couple of, um, of scholars, uh, Muirhead and uh, Rosen, Rosenberg, I think, or Rosenbloom, I can never remember. Um, they have a book called uh, Everybody, you know, A Lot of People Are Saying, uh, mm-hmm. The New Conspiracism, and they're political scientists, and they sort of have this definition of, of this new conspiracism that relies on repetition to sort of convey its impact oh, interesting. rather than rather than overwhelming um, sort of a, a shotgun of, uh, quote, proof like older conspiracies. So like, like if you read like old Jim Keith books or old, you know, conspiracy theory books, Jim Mars books, it's just yeah. like, you know, you need a flow chart to try to track what's going on where and all this information and it's, it's sourced and it's footnoted to hell and back. New conspiracy stuff on YouTube, social media, whatever, it just relies on, you know, I read this about, you know, if you order something from Wayfair, really what you're ordering are trafficked children. You know, well, where's the evidence for that? Well, a lot of people are talking about it. It's all right, over right. Facebook. It's all over Twitter. It's all over YouTube. Well, you're perceiving it as being all over Facebook because of the way the, and YouTube, because of the way those, those social media algorithms work, right? So this is reflected in, in, you know, the, this, this, the new style of conspiracism where, you know, the evidence for something is a citation to some or, – or the best example I have of this, this sort of repetition replacing evidence is, you know, saying, I found five websites that say the same thing. Clearly, this is true. I'm, I, I've seen arguments that are that simplistic. And what you're seeing is not five different researchers coming to the same conclusion. You're seeing like five copies of word for word, the same article, you know, it's like, well, I've seen this in five different places. Well, that's how the internet works. Right. So (laughs) I think that's what frustrates me about, um, about the the, the sort of QAnon complex of conspiracy theories is that it's, it's just so simplistic in a lot of ways when I, I've yeah. got a lot of deep love for the, the old, you know, bulletin board with string connecting the note card style, wild eyed, crazy sort of conspiracy. Exactly. As, as yeah. opposed, yeah. as opposed to a guy said something on 4chan, therefore it's true. Um, yeah, or, exactly. Yeah. 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 That's kind of how I fell ass backwards into the flat earth world because it was like I need to get back to conspiracies <laughs> that are fun and wacky and crazy conspiracies. Um, yeah. And yet your timing was good, I think, in a sense, too, because uh, I think – I mean we'll see how it plays out. But I, I get the impression that like the Q thing is over. Like I feel like it kind of culminated with the, with the January 6th event. And it's like no one's – the Q guy, from what I understand, or there's been no – more messages from yeah. you. I think it was like two nope. super vague, like, you know, we, we, we'll, <laughs> victory is ours or something like that. So like that after the election or something crazy like that, but nothing, yeah. you know, the whole stringing people along with a series of riddles and shit, like all that stopped like almost six months ago now. And, um, it'll be interesting to see. So sort of, if you were, you did, you chronicled sort of the Q thing and it's like the t- your timing was really good because it seems like now whatever it's going to mutate into something else. I I feel like over the next year there'll still be people who hang on to 
to the Q thing, but but people's uh, their attention spans are pretty short, and uh, I mean, Pizzagate gave us Q, so I presume Q will give us something else. Yeah, and and I think it's going to be a while till the book's out because their their process is you know it, it's not an instantaneous process, which is good because it won't be coming out. I, I think is it I forget the guy's name, Mike Rothschild. Uh, his his book on QAnon is coming out later this year, and and he's you know been following it. There's going to be I think several books about QAnon itself coming out. Yeah, there's going to be a ton of yeah yeah. We're in the we're in the, yeah. like the reflection phase now. Um, yeah, so you can tell. Yeah, I noticed like out, last year, at some point last year, all of a sudden I saw like four or five or six. And I remember because you and I were talking at the time, and I knew you yeah. you had a book, and I was like, oh shit! Now everyone's writing fucking QAnon books. There's like four or five or six of them coming out. I'm really hoping that mine comes out comfortably after those um, because I don't want it to be seen as a QAnon book. It, it's, it's a book that uses right. QAnon as one example of things. Like, well, he doesn't go into as much detail in QAnon as other, other QAnon books. It's like, well, that's because well, the other three quarters of the book is UFOs and Nasara, right? Um, yeah, yeah. There was going to be another a, a chapter on um, sovereign citizen stuff. And um, – the thing is, as I got into writing it, it just didn't fit. And that was one of the most frustrating things is I, I spent all of this time researching the stuff, which is the most confusing stuff to understand, like to, to understand their, their legal theories and things like that. I was able to salvage some of it because now it, long story and we're at, we're almost out of time, but, um, but yeah, frustrating book to write. But uh, I think that's because I recently finished it and uh, I haven't been able to watch the ACO QAnon documentary told my wife it's like i'm just so sick of the whole topic i i'll watch i'll watch it in six months you know I, yeah. i'll watch it when i'm not tired of it anymore yeah 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 um so you don't know when the book will come out but at some point uh, no in the, i you know I, in the future i don't it's done so. i should yeah. have a pretty good idea when it's close enough to pre-order i'll know things are getting real when uh i have to do all the indexing because um that's the only thing that can make me this grumpy besides driving to Ikea and back is indexing. So now will it be, you've written academic books. Will it be like an academic book or, I mean, obviously yeah, it's, it's, it's research academic. I guess the problem, I'm talking about the price. That's what, let's be honest. Uh, so price, <laughs> is it going to be like a $60 <laughs> book, like no, a, like a textbook um, kind of thing, or are people going to be able to get their hands on it, you know, regularly? It's from, uh, it's, it's, it's from McFarland who did my contact ebook and my last conspiracy theory book. And I think those are nineteen, twenty, thirty dollars, something like that. All right. So, and, and and the Kindle version. No, it's not like the. Um, it's not like my one hardcover book. It was eighty dollars. Um, that was that was not my choice. Uh, unsurprisingly, that's my worst selling book. Uh, the one that cost eighty fucking dollars. Um, oh gosh, <laughs> my father might be listening. Sorry, Dad. I didn't mean to to, to use the F word there. But um, yeah, it's uh, yeah. It, it should be it should be affordable and like I tell people you know get it from your library you know um, if your library has it interlibrary loan it um, that's you won't hurt my feelings uh, buy it used I did see one of my books in a used bookstore um, oh wow which, which was which was kind of cool um, my wife saw that somebody on one of her Facebook friends who doesn't really know me was reading my contact ebook and hadn't put two and two together that I wrote it, which was kind of oh, weird. weird. 
Um, so that was that was weird and 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 kind of kind of uh, kind of interesting. And uh, yeah, but uh, yeah, writing a book, the key All to right. fame, right? Exactly. All right, I got. I'll have you. I'll, if you don't mind, I'll just pull you for like five more minutes after I want to ask you about uh, the Kelly sure. Goldman trip. Let's have a little fun chat oh, yeah. about that. Um, yeah. uh, I want to thank the people who are in the chat tonight. Eaten by Bears, Jim Lydica, Jim Vujovic, Sasquara, Zach Copley, uh, Tobadzinski was in earlier. There's a whole bunch of people that came in. And at one point, someone called in on Skype, and I refused to put them on, so they should know better. <laughs> they must be a new new listener. Uh, there was like three or four people that popped up in the chat room that I've never seen before, and it was like <laughs> – it was uh, – that, you know, it was right after – it's funny. It was right as we were talking about Bill English. It was like right when you were like <laughs> – it was right, right when you were like, uh, I'm going to be careful what I say about Bill English because he's still alive. Then all of a sudden like three people popped into the chat, <laughs> the chat room, and someone called in on Skype, and I was like, uh-oh. Um, so, so, But that that's neither here nor there. So tell me about this. You took a trip to the the – I, I take it the site of the uh, of the Kelly Goblin uh, trip, so yeah. uh, Kelly Goblin um, case. So I guess you know first give people the thumbnail on the Kelly Goblin thing. It's another one we haven't really talked about on the show, and then talk okay. about what that so, was. So, you know what the adventure was like. Yeah, ba- back in the fifties, um, there's this uh, this family in, uh, in in Kentucky near the um, city of Hopkinsville, a little village called Kelly. And they lived in the, the farmhouse. And uh, one night, all through the night, they were terrorized by strange little creepy goblin creatures and um it was a it's a big story cops from um the the the, the county and and the township and, and the city of hopkinsville and even uh, military police from the uh, uh from oh from the, the area the army ba- the army base that is right up the road fort campbell fort campbell um came and, and checked it out and it was a really interesting, uh, really interesting story. We did a, a fun episode about it a couple of years ago. Uh, me and um, associate producer Simpson J. Hanover III uh, decided to um, take a trip down there because, you know, it was we weren't in the middle of nowhere, not not around a lot of people. So as far as COVID stuff goes, it was an easy trip to to sort of uh, make. We wouldn't have to fly or anything. Um, so we went down there and we we stayed in Hopkinsville and um, we tried to figure out where the farmhouse had been. Um, and, and so we were, we were looking at some of the old uh, newspaper uh, newspaper stories about it. And, you know, it's all vague, like like seven miles from town off of highway something. So is that new highway something? Was there an old highway before the interstate came through? Uh, so it was, it was really fun. We were pretty sure we found the location of the restaurant motel where the cops were eating when they saw a UFO that same night. We're pretty sure we found this abandoned old hotel with the foundations for the old cabins that have been back there. So we poked around there and uh, pretty sure we saw the remains of a meth lab, judging from some pots and bowls and a scale that were around. Um, so that was, uh, that was pretty fun. Also, and we, we were pretty sure we found where the farmhouse had been. Uh, we're not entirely positive, but it, it was kind of fun. And we, we, we drove out there at night, and uh, I think we, we did an episode about this. We recorded some of it live on uh, on location. So uh, it was kind of creepy in the fog, driving around rural Kentucky, uh, hoping not to uh, not to see goblins. But uh, it was fun. Uh, 
Simpson and I had uh, had a good time with it, and uh, I'm not sure what our next uh, paranormal adventure will be. Before the podcast started, we had actually gone down to Flatwoods and Point Pleasant in West Virginia, and oh wow, I think we'd like we'd like to do something like that again. Um, knowing that now there's a podcast and we can record some stuff and, and everything. So that, that it was, it was a fun trip down to, uh, down to flat it was long drive. It's like right by Tennessee, not far. I think we were like, and we were only like 45 miles from Nashville or something like that. So, Oh really? It's, uh, about as far as, about as far South in Kentucky as you can go and uh, still be in Kentucky. Yeah. Interesting country down there. Um, yeah. I've had a hankering to go check out, uh, Point Pleasant for a while, so yeah, it sounds oh, like an interesting man. place. Yeah, we uh, we actually went to the TNT area, went to some of the bunkers that are there. That is creepy, man. Creepy. Yeah, it sounds pretty cool. I take it Kelly has not embraced the Goblin aesthetic yet, um, right? They not not in a touristy way. Um, I think a lot of people there who we talked to knew about it. They were aware of it. Um, they didn't know a lot of details. It's not like um, right, right. even Flatwoods. Uh, Flatwoods, their visitor center, has some Flatwoods monster stuff. Um, oh, but, cool. Uh, but, and Kelly is basically just a wide spot in the road. Um, There's it, really not much there. Uh, and, and Hopkinsville is a, a pretty big town. It's about you know, 10 miles away. And, and it's, it's, um, it's called the Kelly-Hopkinsville case because, Nobody would know where Kelly is if you didn't mention Hopkinsville, you know? So it's, uh, yeah, they haven't embraced it to the same degree of, uh, as, as Point Pleasant or Flatwoods or, or even, um, or especially Roswell, something like that. Yeah. Which is yeah. good. I, it's, it's... Got. You there? Uh, yeah, you broke oh. up a little bit. Oh, oh sorry about that. Uh... Yeah, it is. It is. It, uh, I was saying, uh, uh, yeah, I was. I think I mentioned to you guys recently uh, that I was, yeah, I was up in Exeter, and they're they're starting to they they're turning into a little mini Roswell, which is good and bad in a way. It's just kind of like, oh shit, you guys, they've seen the money from <laughs> that they can generate yeah. being being UFO uh, centric. But. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, you you had a long drive, and uh, I've taken up a lot of your time, so uh, I really appreciate <laughs> no you problem, coming on the man. show. It was a fun time. <laughs> it was always apologies good to, to chat. Apologies to anybody I offended with my grumpiness, but uh, man, modern ufology. Jeez. I, I I'm going to take some of the blame. I feel like I give license to grumpy. So, so, so you, <laughs> I'm not this upbeat, wondrous host who's like, isn't this the greatest thing in the world, man? It's like, no, no, no. So, so I think no, people are like, not. oh wait, you mean, you mean I can, you mean I can, I can, can let my cynical side out? Oh, all right, well yeah. let me. <laughs> so, I. It's nice. Uh, it's nice. I, yeah, I appreciate people being honest on the show. I try to be, you know, it's like I, I sometimes think I, I, I want people to know. I'm like, I'm not. So I think we we're pretty, pretty nice to people on here. It's like we're not, you know. People are fans. If you want to be a fan of UFOs, it's fine. Be a fan. I'm just not a fan of UFOs right now. It's like, right. you know, I look at it in the same way I see people getting all worked up about Game of Thrones or whatever when it was on or something. It's like, uh, you really like that Game of Thrones. I don't get it, but enjoy the finale, I guess. You know? It's like, yeah. that's kind of how I feel. Like yeah. It, yeah. 
enjoy the UFO report when it comes out in June, if it does or whatever. And you know, I'll be interested to see how you all react. And <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm not yeah. like on the edge of my seat waiting to see what it says. I agree. I'm I'm the same way. Um. All right. Well, thanks again for your time, Aaron. I really appreciate it. And uh, we, I'll, I, I would say I would get you more on the show more often, but I don't know when the hell I do shows or anything like that anymore. So it's uh, it's like a, you haven't been on since October of 2017, but I actually haven't done that many shows since October 2017. Say, so like you, you've got the, the, the sort of the sort of like limited special format now, which is uh, is kind of cool. So we should yeah, do another show. I enjoy it. Show. Holiday special. Absolutely. Yeah, we'll definitely we'll definitely do uh we'll definitely do something around the holidays. Somehow I missed the whole holiday season this year, but uh I'll get back into it next year. It, um it the, web, the website year. of course yeah. is uh, uh saucerlife.com. saucerlife.com and uh what's your and and what what are you on Twitter the the saucer life or saucer life? Uh it's just just, uh, just put saucer, saucer life on on Twitter. Yeah. And I assume uh yeah, you can find all the links on there and everything else. So, yeah, there's a link tree on there. So, yeah, check it out. Follow Aaron on uh, all the social media platforms and listen to the show. Um, you know, yep. I can't put it over enough. There's only a handful of shows I really listen to because they don't have time. And Greg Bishop and I have talked about this. It's like when you have a show, sometimes it's hard to listen to other shows because you're just too busy making your show to to have yeah. time to listen to other shows. And it's like you I, I don't, you don't want to necessarily yeah. be influenced and shit. Exactly. I was just say, I don't listen to any paranormal podcasts because I don't want any cross contamination. You know, I don't I don't want I don't I don't want like to be like, Oh gosh, gosh, I said that. Did I say that like that one show said? Oh my gosh, did I rip them off? Um, so I just don't listen to it. I listen to some pro wrestling podcasts and uh that's about it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right, brother. Well, we could we could end up chatting like all night, but I I have to put I have yeah. to uh, be good about it. So, <laughs> yeah. uh, thank you very right. much again for for coming on the show, and we'll talk soon. I'm sure. No problem. Talk to you later. Good night. Night. There you go, folks. That was Aaron Gullius. Fun conversation. I love talking to Aaron. I almost I feel like I had to hold back in a sense because uh, we could go down like all kinds of tangential shit that have nothing to do. Too with UFOs and stuff, and end up talking about like pro wrestling or um, or like you know TV or something like that. And uh, he's such a wealth of information about UFO stuff that I know that's what people wanted to to hear on the show. Um, so yeah, that was uh, that was awesome. And what's going on now? So look at I was gonna go down to New Orleans uh, for people who listen to the show with uh, Tyler Koch on, the one-year uh, CoronaCast. Uh, I was supposed to go down there, but then uh, I made the mistake, and I'm sure when I say this, people will be like, oh, but all oh, you're such an idiot. But I made the mistake of uh, of getting like a super cheap airline uh, ticket with uh, Spirit Air, which I, I had heard was terrible, but I was like, well, this is like the cheapest flight I've ever seen in my life to fly down to New Orleans. So... Um, the next thing you know, uh, I get an email like, I think I bought the tickets like in early March because it was before I talked to Tyler. And then in early April, I got an email from Spirit Airlines. You're not going to believe this, folks. So they say, we're going to fly. We changed your schedule, Mr. Benal. We're flying you back from New Orleans to Boston 
but originally there was a one-hour layover in Trenton, and then I was going to get on another flight to Boston. So, like, now we're going to fly you to Trenton. We're going to keep you in Trenton for 13 hours. Um, so you're going to arrive in Trenton, like, like it, like at 7 o'clock in the evening, and you're going to leave Trenton at, uh, you know, 8 a.m. So I don't know what the hell they expected me to do in the Trenton airport. I assume, like, I would have had to get a hotel room, right? Um, I wasn't going to sleep in the, in the, uh, in the lobby or whatever you call that, in the, uh, oh, no, I lost, whatever that thing is, the terminal. I'm not going to sleep in the terminal. Um, and then, then this is worse, because then they were going to fly me from Trenton. I was going to go somewhere else. I think like Myrtle Beach, which I think is like south, which makes even less sense, right? Because uh, from Trenton, I could probably just drive to Boston. Um, definitely could drive within 13 hours. Um, so, so then they say, we're going to fly you to Myrtle Beach, and you're going to stay there for seven hours. And then we'll fly you back to Boston. So they wanted me to do 21 hours of layover time um, to get home from New Orleans next Monday. So essentially, I was ready for a fight, and even though uh, they completely ruined my trip, when I called Spirit Airlines to tell them about all this, uh, they were very accommodating and gave me all my money back. So Spirit Airlines, terrible, terrible airline, excellent customer service. Um, and that's a, long, that's a long story to tell you that um, I had not planned to do a show next week because this New Orleans trip was up in the air for a while. Uh, I, I, gave them, I gave Spirit Airlines until like this past Wednesday to get their act together and fix the flight, and they didn't. So, um, you know, up until Wednesday, I wasn't even sure if I was going to be around next Friday. So, long story short, I hadn't planned for an episode next Friday. Um, anyone, as you know, if you listen to the show for a long time, I could pretty much just like uh, call – just about anybody I know, and we could do a show next Friday. So there are people that I have in mind that uh, would be good guests that I haven't talked to in a while. Um, so, you know, maybe I'll, I'll get on that uh, this weekend. So, yeah, that's about it. So I can't tell you what's going to be on next week. I'd like to do a show, uh, and if I do, uh, it'll be on at 9 p.m. on Friday night because that's when I do shows. <laughs> so I think that's it. Yeah, and if we don't do, you know, if we don't do a show then, uh, we'll do a show the week after. So, in two weeks, which so that would be like the 21st. But I don't see any reason why I wouldn't do a show next week, except for the fact that I don't have anyone to talk to yet. But there's lots of people I can talk to. Um, and and on a different sort of note, uh, for people who care about this kind of thing, I'm very kind of itching at the bit to... I'm very sort of OCD, as I've mentioned on the show before. So I'm very – I want to wrap up sort of this little mini-season of uh, reunion-type episodes because I'm sort of chomping at the bit to talk to, like, a bunch of new people. Uh, I'm sort of trying to – I'm starting to put together this list of, like, people I haven't talked to before that I want to talk to. Um, so, yeah, the Summer of Strangeness 2021. So if that – if that uh, so I guess the the reason I'm even mentioning this is because like if people are like oh well, if I don't do a show next week it's like oh what what's been all doing it's like no 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 I I have uh, I have aspirations to 
talk to certain people. It's just like uh, I, I, I have very OCD, so I want to do these reunion shows, take a little break, maybe around July 4th, and come back uh, in the summer for another little mini-series of uh, first-time interviews. So that's kind of where I'm at uh, with the trip, with next week, with the future, with the summer. Um, yeah, that's where we're at. So I don't know. With all that said, thanks, everybody, for listening. Uh, I've had a really enjoyable conversation tonight with Aaron. Uh, SaucerLife.com is the website. Definitely check out the show. I really do love it. It's, uh, it's a fantastic production, um, and he's done a great job. Like I said, we just started talking to him when – uh, when he, we, we, we talked when he first started all this, uh, and now it's really established itself as uh, one of the preeminent UFO podcasts out there, I think. Uh, you know, it's it's unique in a field where most of these shows really are kind of cooking together nowadays. Um, yeah, so that's it. So thanks to, again, for everybody for listening. Until next time, stim it all. <laughs>